Hi, I'm Niv. Hi, I'm Martin. And we are Asteroids in Exile. How did you escape from your terrorist holding cell? And we're live! Okay. It's working. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. Another session plagued by technical issues. Yeah, that's a constant theme with the show. <laughs> well, yeah. The show must go on, you know. We, yeah. can't, um, we can't use that as an excuse for it to not, not, uh, not progress. We're already, like, what, an hour and a half late compared to what time I said yeah, we, we, we should start. So, anyway. Oh. Cool. So, we should kick off with, a, um, with our, our, our awesome title, should we say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, let me, bring up, let me bring up one note again. Um, all right. Welcome to Asteroids in Exile, Episode 4, Civil Apocalypse. Stop the fighting. It's time for tea. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we were very happy about that title. It's, it's a great thing. It's awesome. All the versus movies and Civil yeah. War movies. And everybody wants just to, to see destruction. And you just, you just need to take a break every now and again. Take a breath and have a nice cup of tea. You know, or Cake, coffee. perhaps, you know? Make, make yourself happy. Make yourself... Yeah. Okay, then. <laughs> so, what are we going to talk about today, Martin? We're going to talk about uh, Civil War, the latest installment in the Marvel movie franchise. The Marvel Avengers Civil War franchise. Um, Zootopia and Jungle Book. Quickly. I mean, <laughs> some, some of us haven't watched it. Yeah. And then on to Age of Apocalypse, which is already starting to get reviews and stuff coming in. So that um, will be an interesting discussion. Then we're going to go through just some random stuff, right? Yeah, we have three notes. There are set photos from Iron Fist. We have an Assassin's Creed trailer. And Daniel Craig has put down the role of James Bond. Let's put it down. Who's going to pick it up? He vacated the role. (laughs) It's gone. James Bond's weekend. <laughs> All right. Um, we should have also. Well, I, I guess that's related to Age of Apocalypse anyway. The whole um, Wolverine casting announcements and stuff like that. So that'll be cool. Uh, and there was also Black Panther casting announcements. So we can discuss that previous briefly. Um, and then some comic discussion to round it all yeah. off. Both of us have read some comic books. <laughs> yeah. I just finished uh, another book. So, you know, the Expanse TV series? I don't know if you've yeah, yeah, seen yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a sci-fi show. So I just finished book one, which was very exciting um, because book one covered pretty much what was in the first season, but then a little bit more. So it's very interesting um, the way it ends, and I'm very excited to get into the next series of, like, the rest of the series now. So that was pretty good. If you like sci-fi, it's definitely worth to check out. Okay, so, shall we start at the top? Civil War. Take it from the top. What do you think? It's a great movie. It it was awesome. It was more than I hoped it would be. Uh, And it was a strange strange answer to to Batman vs. Superman. (laughs) Strange? (laughs) Why do you say strange? Because, you know, the production cycles couldn't have... uh, influenced uh, how 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 civil war would would work 
Mm-hmm. But the movies are so similar and yet different. Yeah. There's there's definitely a big there's a gap in tone yeah. obviously between the two. And I think, you know, from a lot of people who complained about Superman, Batman that I spoke to, they didn't like how heavy and dark it was. And I think yeah. the the thing that Marvel does really well is to bring in that sort of that levity, you know, there's, yeah. there's, there's still a bit of fun to the superhero movies, uh, from the Marvel side, which is, which is, I think what people want to see a little bit. And obviously we like the dark movies. We like the, the Batman Begins style, but, um, but for the general audience, you know, they, when, when they think about superheroes, they don't want to think about just dark, depressed and, uh, you know, such intense characters. Stars. Yeah. And Civil War was was dark in some places. Like it was a pretty heavy storyline. I mean, that whole relationship between Iron Man and Captain America and yeah. what was going on, you know, was pretty charged. It was pretty heavy. Um, but they still put in those moments that were fun, like you know, meeting Spider Man for the first time and um, and Tony Stark hitting on Aunt May. You know, there were there was yeah, some yeah, yeah. Th- there were some cool bits which made you laugh in the middle of the movie, which kind of yeah. it, a little bit of a tension release which Batman Superman didn't really have. Um, I really didn't want to go into like a comparison with Batman and Superman so early. No, no, no. no. But it's, you can't avoid it. I mean, It wouldn't be fair to both movies. Yeah, because they were so different as well. I mean, they, they were pretty much... They were, they were going on a similar theme, like you said, but I think they were trying to say different things. Yeah. You know, and um, coming out of the, um, the Nolan movies on the DC side... I think Snyder was really trying to do something to actually show how how you you know extend that theme of this is what it, it would look like in the real world if you had these yep. characters. It wouldn't yes, be yeah. the fun airport uh, fight scene where everyone's you know like they're coming out of a comic book page. It'll be darker. Those fights would happen kind of in in the shadows, yep. but with massive collateral damage. Damage, yeah. You know, there wouldn't be an enemy. Uh, there wouldn't be. Superheroes fighting superheroes, but just uh, an army of, of of heavily armed people shooting at Captain America and his party. In yeah, reality. Which, yeah, which is interesting, right? I mean, uh, there's that awesome scene uh, with the chase through the tunnels and stuff when... Um, yeah. oh, what's his name? <laughs> I forgot. Winter Soldier. Yeah, when, when, when Bucky was on the motorcycle. I love that scene. That's so cool. Um, when Black Panther just goes in and... Um, and yeah. like he's just like running over cars and just like uses his claws to like break break the back wheel of the bike and stuff. Really, really, really cool. But I love how the military shows up as well and helps kind of arrest and stop everyone. You know, like that sort of involvement with the military, really trying to, um, or you know, whether it's the police or the military or whoever, trying to have some sort of hand in that. I think you know is kind of more the way it'll look. You know, you would have some sort of civil response. As well as the superhero response. Response, yeah. That was cool. So, we like, what was the best and worst things about the movie from from your side? Oh, that's at the top. What was the the best thing about the whole movie? The best thing is is Black Panther because yeah. he wins the movie. I thought at, so at too. Yeah. I thought I, I thought Black Panther was awesome. He got. I mean, his father had to die, which uh-huh. is which is a sad thing. Yeah, but. At the end, he gets he gets everything. He gets the whole cake. He gets his tea time. <laughs> he gets his tea time. 
he really came across. I mean, it was a good um, representation, I think, of what Black Panther should have been yeah. because he was so different to everyone else as well. Like his his perspective. So, like he says, he's a warrior and a king. You know, is is so different to everyone else's. Yeah. So Tony Stark's, you know, got the perspective of like the rich billionaire playboy, but who's also technologically advanced and trying to do kind of that bigger picture thing for, in a sciency kind of way. Whereas it feels like Black Panther's got, got more of like a political, um, bureaucratic and understands like the machinations of wealth politics yeah. <laughs> with the way he's doing things, which plays out in the, um, in the end credit sequences as well, right? Yeah. So the decision that he makes now to harbor Bucky, knowing full well that the rest of the Avengers and the, the rest of the world who signed on to the, to the Zakovia Accords are after him. You know, yeah. that's going to play out probably in the next, um, well, I think for sure in the Black Panther movie, obviously, uh, but in the, the next couple of Marvel movies as well. So very interesting to see how that works. And I, I like how he, you know, even as a cat, he kind of <laughs> slinks around and moves like a cat, you know, yeah. kind of, kind of that quiet, stealthy kind of, I might just draw out a sword and cut someone up at any moment kind of kind of movement that that, that, that was done pretty cool and he has this he, he mentions at one point in the movie um that uh in Wakanda in Wakanda death isn't isn't uh the end of a person yeah which hints at the whole uh, uh necropolis that's in in Wakanda and also plays into the cat theme in um in Egypt and stuff like that. He, he, it's it's a really uh, a great fleshed out character for the 15 minutes we see him in the movie. Yeah, I know. His screen time is not that much, but no. I think he really delivers... I mean, Chadwick Boseman really delivers a good performance to yeah. kind of give the, the character some gravity. Yeah. Um, and, you you know, even though his father died, but you, you kind of need those scenes that kind of have a... Um, have a, a... an emotional anchor. Yeah. You know, and I think... Um, that's that was done really well. So he did a great job. The character design was good, and the production yeah. design of how they put that together. The suit could have probably done with a little bit more, um, I don't know, like texture or color grading to make it look a little less plastic. Yes, yes, yeah. But it I think like plastic, not like mesh. Uh, it, like, or like, like metal. Or like metal, yeah. Like even yeah. the little like silver accents that he had around the um, around his neck and stuff. They kind of just they didn't shine. It'll be cool. I mean, you know, you could say they probably should have been matte because if you're a character who's going to work in the shadows, you don't want to have lots of shiny things on you. Things on you, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, they should have been just a muted tone of silver then, like like a darker gray compared to the black rather than silver because they they did kind of look plasticky. Yeah. But um, but you know, we can we can let that go. Hopefully, the next. I, iteration of the of the costumes refining some of those elements we still have two years to manage to do spider-man in, i know in it feels months. like it feels like such a long wait yeah. doesn't it to before we get to another black panther movie so but he, he was definitely cool um definitely cool for me the biggest i think the airport fight scene was good uh and also the fight scene in um siberia so that last fight scene yeah to me, it was great how the fights and the conflict kind of escalated over time. 
So it just kind of got worse and worse and worse. And then at the very end, you find out that whole thing about how Bucky was there that um, you know, effectively killed, well, did literally kill Stark's parents, right? Oh, um, and then they have that massive fight where I was like thinking to myself, my God, they're actually looking like they're trying to kill each other in this fight scene. Like it was really brutal. Yeah, they looked um, really desperate, lost for words. Yeah, and you know that, that last bit where Tony's kind of like, I think um, Captain America kind of throws Tony to the ground, but his head kind of bounces on the corner of one of the pillars. Um, and then his helmet comes off, or I think Captain America may even rip that, the helmet off, and then he's using the shield to kind of like cut through the armor. I was yeah, like, it's, oh, it's, it's going to decapitate him. Yeah, going and he off. slams it into the, oh, into the arc wreck. Oh, that was such an yeah. intense scene because he looked like he would kill him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, oh. like, it just shows you how ruthless and crazy Captain America can be, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, as well as being a Boy Scout, that was, that was pretty dark because yeah. he was, I don't think, like, in all the movies that we've seen, I haven't seen Captain America go that crazy and yeah. that violent, even against Nazis. You know, so the fact that he's like he's gone that far with Iron Man was just really, really awesome to behold, but also yeah, but- pretty scary, just to show you like how much, how far he's willing to go. Yeah, but it, it's because I think at this point in the movie he realizes that um, he's not been on. Yeah, there was no right side. Oh, and it, do you think so? Do, do you think he comes to that realization? Yeah, I, I, I think you know that <laughs> I'm overinterpret. I'm overinterpreting things. But there is this, um, there's this one moment uh, when when they're in Wakanda at the end, and mm-hmm. T'Challa comes up to uh, Captain America, and they start the conversation where Steve is 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 looking up, and you know. I perhaps in that scene he's he's reminiscing uh, the events that that uh, brought him to this play to this plate place, right? Because you know he's the the event the part of the Avengers that backed Captain America are basically ending up in a Wakanda-shaped prison. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I I think he realized that yeah I should have I should have been more chill about the thing. Yeah. And, and Tony, when he reads the letter, uh, I think he, he too thinks, well, shouldn't have uh, let things escalate that way. I didn't like, yeah, I didn't like the letter part because I think it was a bit, to me, I didn't feel like Captain America got that realization in the end. Like he gets it at the end, like after that scene and then by the time he sends a letter. So he, he gets it in between those two moments, yeah. which we yeah. didn't see in my opinion. Because as he's walking away from Iron Man and when Tony says, you know, you don't deserve that shield because my father yeah. made that shield. Yeah. And he drops it. To me, that was like a massive indication of like, he's like, I just don't care at this stage. Yeah. Captain America's kind of like, well, F you, have it back then. Yeah. You know, um, which in itself was crazy. Like, you know, because, this, you know, everything the shield stood for, he's effectively throwing it off and casting it off. And then somewhere after that, so he kind of goes to this place where he's like, I don't care about anything else except Bucky, which by itself is like crazy, right? So we'll get to that in a moment. 
So he goes from this place where he doesn't care about anything else except Bucky, and then he sends a letter, like probably like a week or two later, depending on how that timeline so- shows out, where he's like, oh, by the way... Dear Tony, I still yeah. like you. I know, right? It's like, <laughs> I know we used to be friends, but we can still be friends, you know? So that was weird, the, the way that kind of played out. Like, I, it's a comic book movie, and they're superheroes, mm-hmm. so they kind of have to find a middle ground at some point. I just think... I think by the end of the story, I was, like, I started off on Captain America's side. So going into the movie, I was Team Cap. But coming out, I was Team Tony, <laughs> right? I was Team Iron Man. Because I thought Captain America was just, he was just um, almost psychotically obsessed with Bucky yeah. through the whole movie. In all, like, it was so irrational, some of the decisions he made. And it was weird for, for me, so like sort of pivoting from best to worst, is the movie kind of tried to juggle so many things, right? So it had, it had the accords, so it had this political thing, and then it also had the story between Stark's parents and, and the, the, the personal emotional story between Captain America and Iron Man about, you know, who killed Stark's parents and how Bucky was involved and all that sort of thing. I think either one of those things, the political story or the emotional story, was enough to have carried the movie and been the um, the reason for the conflict. Yeah. But having them both in there kind of confused and muddled up both of them as well. Because politically, I felt that they should have been on different sides. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, but because Bucky was involved, Captain America was on the other side from where he should have been. Been, yeah. I mean, I don't know. So it's, it just, it felt, the argument, even though the, it made a lot more sense for why they were fighting compared to, say, Batman, Superman, <laughs> right? Yes, yeah. Because they had actual reasons. Yes. Whereas, even though the reasons made sense logically, it just didn't feel right for some reason. Yeah, but if you, if you, if you put yourself in, in, in Steve Rogers' shoes, he's been out of the ice for, for five years in, in, in MCU time? Five or six years? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's, he's, he's trying to grasp onto... He has a heavy burden on his shoulder and he has to, to get used to, to his new life and to the new political situation. And the Sokovia Accords are, are pulling the rock from under his feet mm-hmm. because he, he, he fears that he's, he's, he becomes a, a, a weapon, not, not, uh, not the person that he represents, but just yeah. a, a homing missile, so to say. Right. And, and, then, and then he can literally grab onto a, a thing from his past, which is, which is Bucky, and he can at least, he can at least protect this and then Peggy Carter dying. So he has he has a, a a physical thing that represents his past that he needs to to protect. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. So Bucky being the symbol of his past and yeah. those the good old days. Yeah, yeah. And, and he he could rescue him. He could. I mean, he could he could save him. Yeah, Bucky and I guess has to uh, to be held uh, account- accountable for for the crime he committed as the Winter Soldier. Even if he was was brainwashed, there has to be some some sort of of repercussions for that. Yeah, I think that that's an interesting take. If um, 
Steve is trying to rescue and save Bucky as a way to protect and kind of honor his past and where yeah. he came from. And, and save himself in, in, in the process, save himself for being reduced to, to a soldier. And potentially find himself as well. Yeah. In, in Bucky and, you know, what, what they used to be. The question I have, though, is what does Bucky have to do before Steve says, this dude's crazy? <laughs> you know, because, you know, all right, all the stuff he did as the Winter Soldier aside, I don't know. So the Winter Soldier did some pretty bad stuff. I don't know if Steve's getting to the point where he's like, you do need to answer for those crimes. Or whether he's just going to say that, well, he was brainwashed and other people were controlling him. And by the way, that's why I don't want to be controlled by the Zakovia Records, right? You know, because then I'm going to be effectively in that position where people are going to be telling me I should be doing things I don't want to do. Yeah. I, I can see that as a line of argument. I can see that. Um, I think it makes sense if, like you said, Steve's got the perspective where he needs to protect Bucky at all costs as a way of finding and protecting himself and sort of the, the, the sort of the purity of what and what he is and where he came from kind of thing. Um, it just makes me worried <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, because every time someone mentions Bucky, he's kind of like, Oh, I get so distracted. It's like, dude, you're a soldier. You know, <laughs> you're like the soldier focus, compartmentalize. You know? <laughs> I don't know. So that to me was one of the weird things. Like it wasn't bad. It was just weird. I think the way it played out, like I said, made sense. It just was like, and maybe it's like all a part of the Civil War experience as well, is that it makes you feel uncomfortable that these people are fighting each other because they're all yeah. supposed to be friends and they're all supposed to be working together. You know, the good yeah. guys can't be fighting each other. Um, which is the other thing too. I mean, in terms of things that I think could have been done a bit better, Baron Zemo's plan, there was already so much of conflict going on between the emotional story and the political story that you yeah. also had Baron Zemo in the background moving things around. And I think if he wasn't there, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have missed his presence because the biggest contribution he made, I think, was effectively just getting, um, getting a VCR <laughs> and a tape and showing them Bucky killing Steve's... Yeah. Uh, sorry, Bucky killing Stark's parents. parents yeah. because Extremely they, crisp tape. Yeah, they, they could have written that into something else. They could have had like a document, you know, they could have used, you know, obviously you don't want to do it visually because it's film, but they could have had um, different ways of showing and getting to that point yeah. where they didn't have to have Baron Zemo. Well, he wasn't even Baron Zemo. He was just Zemo. But they have like Zemo um, sort of try to orchestrate this whole thing. The whole thing, yeah. And, and the level of orchestration as well, like the amount of moving parts and Zemo keeping track of everything was just a little bit outside the realm of, of statistics yeah, know, in terms of what's probable. It would have worked if Iron Man hadn't uh, made up his mind and get, uh, get the coordinates from the, from the raft. I know. There were like so many things that had to go just, just right. But anyway, Zemo is obviously world's ultimate stratis, strategist in trying to put all that together. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was good. But... Um, The other, the most awkward part of the movie for me, going back to Sharon Carter, was that kiss. It was just like, so the, kiss? the love of my life and your grandmother just died, and now I'm going to kiss you. You not, know, it was not, felt. Not the it funeral. Felt, 
Yeah, it was just after the funeral, right? Yeah, it felt a bit creepy. It, and felt the guy could have just said instead of, and now her niece Sharon Carter is going to hold a speech about her, he could have said, and here's Steve's main squeeze. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of the movie. <laughs> Look at her. It's the chick from Revenge. <laughs> well, they'd obviously been building up to kind of that relationship with, because she was in Winter Soldier as well, right? So she was the neighbor. Ah, yeah, she was in Winter Soldier, yeah. Yeah, so she was the neighbor uh, who was obviously Agent 13 and then yeah. spying on, well, spying on um, Steve to make sure he was okay, I guess. Um, so they, they kind of like laid the seeds for that. But then when they finally kissed, it was like, dude, she just died, you know, you know, <laughs> yes. you give, give it, you know, give her a peck on the cheek and come back to it next movie because seriously, it feels too close and too soon right now. Yeah. Um, that was a bit weird. I don't know. She and, and he got like it felt like he just got over, he got over Peggy so quickly, you know. It's like, <laughs> oh well, she's in the grave. I can move on now. Yes. Yeah, well, he <laughs> was know? being a soldier in that regard. No? Maybe you know, <laughs> find it, found it easy to compartmentalize in that situation. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was the most awkward part for me because the rest of the movie, I mean, otherwise, just felt pitch perfect. It went through yeah. this, you know, this roller coaster of light and dark, but. It was fun. It was intense. It was a great journey. Yeah, I think. So, yeah, I was I was really impressed with how they pulled it off. Very well done. Very well done, Russo brothers. Um, any other characters that stood out for you? Just while while we wrap this up, so we we have the full list of characters here. But anything else that you wanted to talk can about I, specifically? Can I ask you one oh. thing? Yeah, isn't Tony Stark? taking Spider-Man as a hostage in some way as a hostage yeah because he can't Host, hostage is a strong word yeah, you <laughs> oh know, you mean because he's blackmailing him about his identity completely he's invading yeah. his home and then he's yeah. telling you yeah I will tell everybody your secret identity if you don't work with me no piggy that scene is yeah I agree with uh, you on some on in some ways in there because the way Tony Stark just shows up in the house It's a little bit creepy, right? Yeah. So imagine it's not Tony Stark. If a 50-year-old guy just showed up at a teenager's house yep. and started saying, can I have some alone time with this kid? I'm sure some alarm bells would be going off, you know? Um, he got away with it because he was Tony Stark. So yeah. that's effectively, I don't know, if, um, if Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg shows up And they're like, hey, I gotta, I want to have a chat with, with, with the kid. I'm sure you'd be like, okay, this is a bit weird, but it's, it's Elon Musk. You know? <laughs> you'd be like, you know, it could be a job opportunity. You know? You'd probably Which is, pay for the, for the therapist bills. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's dark. That's dark. <laughs> um, so that, I, I agree with you. That was a bit weird, the way... Um, The way he's all like, by the way, I'm going to tell your aunt and like everyone that you're Spider-Man unless you come with me. So, yeah, it was a bit weird. I thought it was played out really well. I thought the chemistry between the two of, yeah, of them was perfectly. really good. They worked really well together. Um, when I, they were doing the casting for Spider-Man, I, I was actually backing the Tom Holland camp. So I'm glad that he got yeah. it and that he did as good a job as I thought he was going to do. Because it was such a cool... Um, It was such a cool, fresh take on Spider-Man. Like, I'm so tired of that. 
it's the fact that he looked so young was cool, and the yeah. fact that he was kind of like a kid. You know, he yeah. he he wasn't trying to be a stereotypical nerd from the '60s. He was playing what a kid would be like who was into technology and stuff. Um, now, he felt genuine. He, he felt like yeah. himself. He was a kid thrown into into the conflict. Yeah, he felt authentic. You know, yeah. um, I thought. It's a weird part with Spider-Man was when he was um, when he was doing the fight with Giant Man, right? And he's all like, "Hey guys, remember that old movie Empire Strikes Back?" I'm like, "Dude, if you're Spider-Man and if you're a nerd, you should know Empire Strikes Back. It should yep. not be that old movie, you know. You should really know what that is. It's like that weird scene in the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man where he uses Bing to do a web search. It's like, yes, any nerd who knows their stuff and not using Bing, they're using Google, right?" <laughs> right, so that felt a bit disconnected, but the rest of it was um, pulled off pretty well. Yeah, great. Uh, and they're both Disney, so I don't know why they would have like not just said, "Hey, you guys seen Empire Strikes Back?" What they did with the because he didn't even know what the AT-ATs were. He called them yeah. the big walking thingies, the big walking, right? Yeah, like call them AT-ATs. Maybe that was more to just trying to keep it not so inside baseball and not so inside Disney. For the mainstream audience, but because he's a all, <laughs> maybe he's a Trekkie, maybe he's like, meh. I'm a Trekkie. I'm not a Star Wars fan. <laughs> Would be the perfect explanation. Is there a collective noun for Star Wars fans? Warsies. Warsies. I don't know. Like seriously, <laughs> no, I'm not sure. Because I, oh, yeah, maybe he's a Trekkie. Maybe he's all about Jean-Luc Picard. That's my captain. Um. But the rest of Spider-Man, the fact that I loved, I loved the scenes where he was like just talking all through the fight scene at the airport fight scene. Yeah. Um, and then Falcon's like, dude, did anyone tell you that you're not supposed to talk so much during these fights? fights. That was brilliant. Which I'm going to flip over to Falcon. Falcon was great. He had yeah. some of the coolest lines and the coolest tech, I think, in, in the movie. Like, yeah. um, really like upped his game since the, since the last movie and really made up for the fact that Ant-Man kicked his ass yeah. in the Ant-Man movie, you know. And he brought in he brought in Red Wing, which is great. It's such a little yeah. odd, but so such a great idea. Well, it, it was cool, and the fact you know the fact that he's using drones is just so cool. Um, yeah. It just again brings it up to kind of currently where we are with technology and stuff, and takes it, it to the next level. Yeah. yeah, so that was great. Um, but uh, they should have given him at least. Uh, one line where he states his motivation why he is with Captain America and not with Team Iron Man. Yeah. I, I missed that bit. They actually did... I mean, they took their time, I think, which was good, which yeah. made that sort of front, front third of the movie a little bit slow because there was a lot of talking, which was cool, which I liked, actually, yeah. how they just sat around the table discussing the pros and cons of the Accords, you know? Yeah. And trying to say, you know, so you had Rhodey saying one thing and Falcon was there with, with his argument. I think they tried to to give that, um, make sure each of the characters had a clear motivation for why they were with which side. So, yeah. Um, Scarlet Witch was interestingly handled in how she was kind of like under house arrest and had to break out with Hawkeye. Yeah. Hawkeye just kind of showed up, so I don't know why he was on, on, on that side. But I think Steve's team was obviously... Steve's team was focused on the bigger picture, which is there could be other Winter Soldiers out there, so we need to go and get them. And then Iron Man's team was like, well, we need to capture these guys because they're, 
they're unlicensed superheroes. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so that airport fight scene was really about that. It was about um, Steve's team saying, we need to go and stop the other Winter Soldiers, and Iron Man's team not really knowing about that, saying we need to stop these guys overall, and like nobody was communicating about the bigger picture. Yeah. You know? Or people were trying to, but they weren't listening. So the setup was, was it made sense. It wasn't so co- contrived. Um, and it's just a great excuse to watch them fight. I mean, because at the end of the day, there's, you know, you, you, you have to have, you have to have all of the spectacle that we're all coming in for these movies for. Doesn't work without them. For sure. So, um, Scarlet Witch was good. I really liked how she used her powers to kind of slam vision through the floor. That looked awesome. Also, uh, Hawkeye, when he sets up the trap for vision. Yeah, the Hawkeye trap was great. Yeah, the Hawkeye trap was great. And I I love how he's like, also the urgency that he had, which is like, this is not going to hold him long, so we're going to get the hell out of here. And I just, I'm waiting for Scarlet Witch to just get really, really just just dark with her powers. I mean, you're starting to see it because she's, She's going to flip out eventually, and I'm waiting. I'm just waiting for that time when she when she flips out. Yeah. And the fact that they're building up to it so slowly is good. You know, it's you, it's that it's that wait, that anticipation. Because when it finally happens, yeah, it'll, it better not disappoint. You know. Yeah. And the same with Vision, because they they introduce doubt doubt into his character. Right. Yeah. And Doesn't he's not so certain. No. And he's carrying. Uh, he's carrying one of Earth's mightiest weapons on his head. Yeah. Which, the Scarlet Witch can just take over, which is awesome. Yeah. She's like, yeah, I'm just going to use your stone against you. Bam. In itself, very scary. Yeah. And he <laughs> shot down James Rhodes. So, a bit of personal guilt. Well, yeah, because, so he's, so he, he you know, that, that path to him becoming human, right? Doubt and uncertainty, yeah. guilt, um, even the the fact that he got distracted, which is how he shot down Rhodes, right? right so he's yeah. he's obviously got this, you know, they're, they're building towards the relationship between Vision and Scarlet Witch and Scarlet as well. Witch, yeah. So, interesting. Um, I don't know if, if you um, if you if you heard the the Kevin Smith uh, podcast where he's talking about how it's like, isn't Vision like a year old and he's effectively just going to be a big vibrator? For her, like, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, it's like you know, because they were saying he's like he, he's a year old, so like, does that mean that he's like underage? Is she cra- is she cradle robbing? And she's like, well, effectively, he's just a big vibrator, so it doesn't matter how old he is. You know? <laughs> I'm like, uh, that's that's going to be an interesting, um, you know, talk about the d- diversity on screen. That's going to be an interesting relationship she as should, it yeah. develops. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time, I'm sure. Um, I hope she puts I, him in a plastic bag afterwards. Uh, you know, just for hygienic <laughs> reasons. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the uh, what the aftercare instructions are for that one. <laughs> um, but what do you think about Black Widow then? So she kind of never took any side and played both both sides of the of the team against each other. They should finally give her a solo movie because. Uh, Scarlett Johansson's performance and everything uh, feels like a, um, like an audition for a solo movie. Yeah, and I think at the end she just uh, 
she's just telling the boys to get the shit together. Yeah. From a from a capability point of view, I think she could definitely do a solo movie. Yeah. I don't know if it's ever going to happen though. I mean, if you look at the slate of movies they've got now. Yeah. It's just like pulled it up. It's Yeah. It's yeah, it's crazy. Um they've got a very they've got a very um clear approach, very clear roadmap yeah. for what they're going to do leading up to the Infinity Wars and stuff like that. A Black Widow movie would be really cool, I think, if they did it like um, what they've done in the animated movies with like a Black Widow Punisher crossover and do it on Netflix or something like that. Yeah, something like that, yeah. That would be really awesome. And yeah. I'd love them to be able to go... Because I think in the Black um, the Black Widow Punisher crossover movie, they went to... Um, it's that... It's that island, that Macau-type island that uh, Wolverine always goes to. M- Madripoor. Yeah. Uh, like the big gambling and all the organized crime and, you know, just a great excuse to be able to mow down bad guys. You yeah. know? That would be so, awesome. That would be cool. I'd yeah, love to see something Hawkeye. like that. Everybody wants a Hawkeye thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it'd be cool if they do like, so, you know, it's, um, it probably, it'll be cool if they could do something where they're actually going after one. Cause you know, there's probably three still infinity stones in play yeah. lost somewhere in the universe. It'll be cool if they end up doing something where they are just chasing down a lead or something like that. So it's kind of related to the overall storyline, but it's, um, it's two kind of human level Avengers yeah. going after it and not, not these heavy hitters. Yeah, and just having just have fun with it, I guess. Yeah. But and she was, uh, she didn't have to show any cleavage. That was <laughs> Scarlet Witch's job in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think Scarlet Johansson's kind of beyond that now, um, especially for the Black Widow character. Yeah. So. Because I, I, I think she's pretty established. We all know who she is and what she can do and where mm-hmm. and w- what she's willing to do as well. Um, and the fact that you just can't trust her. <laughs> you know, that's also, that's a weird com- combination for a character to have, which makes her very, very interesting, um, which is probably good to be explored in a solo movie. But Yeah, and the interesting thing is uh, both sides could trust her in that movie because she saw, she saw both approaches... Um, she saw the good and bad in, in, in both approaches to the Sikovia uh, Accords. Yeah. And she flip-flopped, though. So she went from, like, one side. You know, you could call it flip-flopping, or was she just trying to trying to maintain the peace? I think she was trying to... To some extent. Yeah, she was trying to, to maintain the peace, you know? Yeah, she, need, uh, she knew that Cap was going to... There was a greater evil behind the whole thing. And Cap was going to expose it, uh, mm-hmm. but she also she, she also realized that uh, they need some some kind of of control. Yeah, but, or, but not the UN. In, in this they, case, they needed some sort of oversight. Yeah, I mean okay. that's yeah. true. Because uh, like she comes from a place where she knows what what um, you know. The the oversight or the organization, yeah, w- can mean to somebody, yeah, and for this, a team like them, yeah. There's this uh, there's a short scene or, or the short moment where she asks, uh, "What will happen if we won't uh, if we won't sign them?" And Ross says something in the lines of, uh, "You get retired." Yeah, 
and they just show her, oh, I know what that means. And Yeah, well, it's interesting because I kind of read that, yeah, as like you got to hang up your cape, your cape and just go into um, like normal civilian life. But she was like, oh, yeah, retired. Retired. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like a Blade bullet Robert. to the brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're calling in Harrison Ford. Um, yeah. So she was an interesting character. I mean, I, you know, I just realized they could have called in Harrison Ford because Star Wars is with Disney now. Yeah, they. <laughs> I just had the scene in my head where he just falls onto the table. That the the thing he falls down in in Episode Seven uh, accelerates him, and he travels to time to the MCU <laughs> and just slams on the table. <laughs> Well, I thought it would be cool if, if we had um, in the, so, you know, random mashup, if in the airport fight scene as Bucky and um, Steve are trying to get to um, to the ship, yeah, um, <laughs> a mil- the Millennium Falcon <laughs> just kind of drops out of the clouds and the back door opens and they run up the ramp and then <laughs> hyperspace out, you know, <laughs> it'd be great. It'd be so neat. That's, uh, that's probably not going to happen. Maybe one day, but not, not just yet. <laughs> when they finally get to the point where we're like, now it's like Avengers versus the Jedi, you know? <laughs> the galactic war. That'll be... Um, Ant-Man was cool. I thought he was great. And the, was giant, the giant man sequence was great. That was, was great. Super yeah. fun. I didn't Paul, know anything about the giant man sequence until I saw the movie. Yeah, not, neither did I. So I was, I mean, I heard there was a rumor it was going to happen. So I stopped listening to any more rumors because I just wanted to see it, like, see it happen. And it was great. Just the way it was pulled off. Yeah. I love how Paul, Paul Rudd, again, just brought in, like, after all of the um, intensity of all of this, the fight and, like, you know, Black Panther's father dying and, like, the fight between Steve and um, Tony and then, like, even Bucky not knowing how he was going to react against Steve. There was all this intense stuff going on. And then Paul Rudd shows up. Shows up and he's yeah. just like, oh, he's just awesome. You know, that was... The scene with just, the truck was so great. Yeah, just a breath of fresh air. <laughs> <that> was. <laughs> I love how he grabs... I love how he grabs Steve by the shoulders. Like, oh, you you know, it's Captain America, dude. You know, <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, Giant Man, when he gets to be Giant Man, I love there's that one scene where... Because, like, Vision could have probably ended a lot of those fights super early. Yeah. He kind of he kind of hung back for most of the fight, and then only towards, like, at some point, he kind of uses his mind gem and kind of, like, raises the ground yeah. and draws the line in the sand, you know? But there's that one bit where Giant Man's there doing his, doing his stuff, and Vision <laughs> kind of, like, increases his density and just, like, like a, like a wrecking ball kind of, like, knocks him over. Oh, yeah. And you could... It was done so well because they don't explain anything, obviously, about how Vision's increasing his density and stuff. But um, just with the sound that they used when Vision slams into into um, Giant Man, you can hear it. You can hear the fact that Vision effectively now is like a massive ball of like super dense matter, you know, and it's just gone boom just against him. Giant Man. That was so. That, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and was neat that Giant Man moved slower. Because yes, that so was cool because he's so big. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of people were confused by the scaling of that. But yeah, it's like, you know, when you watch big things move, they they kind of look like they're moving slower compared to small things around them. So yeah, that, that was cool. And I love how he grabbed Rhodey by the, by the legs in that <laughs> one sequence just as he grows. And Rhodey's like, okay, what the hell's going on? Um, Spider-Man, 
also in the fight with Captain America, when Cap uses the shield against him, he's like, that thing does not obey the laws of physics. <laughs> physics <yeah. laughs> that was cool. Yeah, there was, some, there was some great moments. That fight scene was like just so much fun, you know? Um, and it was it got to some um, some funny places, like how Scarlet Witch tells Hawkeye, you're holding back. And yeah. he's like, I'm not! <laughs> you know? And Scarlett and Scar- and um, Scarlett Johansson, so um, Black Widows are like we're still friends, right? Because <laughs> yeah. like, they were kind of holding punches, um, holding back punches, right? So that was funny. That was great. It was just like that was what I wanted to see, and I'm glad I got it. Um, so yeah, for me, like overall, it was just such a great experience. Despite the awkward moments, it was a great experience. Yeah, it was a great movie. Yeah. You know, they should have called it Avengers 3. You think so? Yeah. I mean... I think the... I, I think it... Yeah. Most of the... I mean, all the Avengers were in there. Everyone except Samuel L. Jackson. That's why yeah. it wasn't an Avengers movie. Because <laughs> I think he needs to show up when, he's an, uh, when it's an Avengers movie. But at the same time, I think the emotional weight of it was really about Captain, Captain America. Captain America, yeah. So but the main through line, it kind of like deviated from his that that A storyline yeah. from uh, for a few moments. But I think overall that that arc was really his arc. And it's set, um, up, but it set up so much so much stuff for the whole uh, for the whole universe. Yeah, it changes the whole dynamic of the whole universe, right? Um, the rift, it, which is why I, I I wanted it to end on that rift between Tony and Cap. Yeah. Because I wanted the thing that brings them back together to be Thanos and the Infinity War. Right? I think yeah. it'll be cool if we see them on different sides for a while. Because then you'll have, like, there's, like, the legally sanctioned Avengers, <laughs> which Iron Man has. The legally sanctioned <laughs> Right? And then you've got, like, this dark ops team, which Steve is running out of Wakanda. Right? And at least for a few movies, they're, they're kind of... Um, not for a few movies, because like, the next couple of movies coming up is going to be the Black Panther movie, it's going to be the Spider-Man movie. So that's going to be... Um, that's going to have some Iron Man in it. Yeah. Um, the Black Panther movie is probably going to have some Steve Rogers it, and yeah. Falcon in it. And, well, I don't know if they're going to keep Bucky on ice or what, but that, you know, that's going to come into play, because they're all there. Um, and then, obviously, Doctor Strange will be by itself, introducing the magic element... So we'll see what, what, um, how that plays out. But now that Tony has the phone, because Steve's like, we're still, we're still on the same side, so give me a call yeah, if- <laughs> whenever you need me. Um, I think he's only going to make that call, potentially, when they get to a point where Thanos shows up and the Infinity Gauntlet's in play. Yeah. And they're like, okay, we need everybody because we can't do this. But on the other hand, they, they could um, legally do it, so to say, because with the legally sanctioned Avengers, uh, T'Challa has his say in where they are deployed and how they are deployed. And mm-hmm. then he has kind of his own uh, special ops team. So they could um, potentially run the whole... They could they could work together under the ruse, under, under a ruse, so to say. Yeah, so you mean that T'Challa could could be the middleman yeah. uh, to kind of like say, okay, I need you to go here. And by the way, Steve's going to show up too. <laughs> yeah. 
Turn yeah. around now. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting. Like, do the do they know that T'Challa is um, harboring them? You know that the, that they're in Wakanda. I don't know mm. because I think even um, yeah. if 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 everybody knew that, they would bring the fight to Wakanda. To Wakanda, yeah. Right. But then everybody to, needs and, vibranium. Well, yes, yeah. everybody is. <laughs> so, so, and what's interesting is Chala could probably fashion another shield for him. So he could probably build him another shield. Another shield, yeah. You know, because he's, he's got all the vibranium that he needs. So, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But so far, I mean, Marvel just, I think they just did a great job with kind of setting everything up. Where they go from here is interesting. I mean, yep. introducing Doctor Strange and the magical aspect um, is going to be... It's going to be interesting to see whether that actually sits well and plays well with the rest of the universe that they've created, yeah. which is very kind of sciencey right now. Like in the Arrow TV series, they've introduced magic as well, and it's not doing so well. I think people are like, "Oh, Arrow's jumped the shark. They've got all this crazy stuff happening, and it's all magic, and we don't know what's going on." You know, so in this universe, how they lay magic in, and it's interesting because they're doing it. You know, they're going to have Doctor Strange. They've already got Scarlet Witch, who's got magic-based powers, and they've got what's happening in the Netflix shows. So they've got um, the magical yeah. aspect of the hand and, and things like that yeah. with um, whatever's happening to Elektra now. Yeah. Um, but they've also established in the Thor movies that magic is just, you know, supremely <clears throat> advanced science. So how that how that plays out and how they sort of join all of that is going to be pretty cool. Yeah, they still, they still have this because the Eye of Agamotto could be... Uh, some sort of technology. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's the speculation that the Eye of Agamotto uh, is an Infinity Gem. Oh. So that's how that Doctor Strange co- comes into play, because yeah. he's got one of the Infinity Stones as well. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That sound of resignation you just made. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if you were conscious of it, but it was hilarious. No, no, no. But <laughs> it would be there would be a very cheap trick if the Eye of Agamotto was a was an Infinity Gem. It would feel cheap yeah. somehow. I I think it will fit in with the world that they're creating. Yeah. It would be it would be extremely convenient though that so many of these things showed up on Earth. Yeah, you know. You know, now I'm bitching about it, but when I'm in the cinema and I'm watching the movie, I'll be probably all giddy. And <laughs> you see, because it's like a puzzle piece that now fits in, in, yeah, very nicely with the rest of the jigsaw. You know, so I think it's gonna be pretty cool. Uh, they, they're saying it's like what the the time gem or the reality yeah. gem or something. I don't know. Like, because I'm confused now between which one is which. Um, but they've actually broken it down to say like it's the the one that allows so maybe the reality gem I don't know yeah but probably the the one that allows um, tr- travel between different dimensions Dimension. and things like that which is how which is how Doctor Strange does his interdimensional stuff into the demon worlds and or you know all those other realms that he he goes to maybe realms not the right word because it's a Thor thing but yeah and we have Thor also coming up yeah so Thor Ragnarok yeah. right. Which would be Jeff interesting. I know. So the casting, <laughs> the casting, it's like the casting of that looks so cool. Um, yeah. So that that that's going to be great yeah. as well. So the the next couple of movies look like 
really high quality. You know, I think the stories are going to deviate a lot from what the comic storylines are. Yeah. Because obviously now this universe is so established, it's got its own momentum with where the stories need to go and how they're going to come together. Yeah, yeah. So, but we can still kind of kind of draw um, draw from the rumors and the history of the comics yeah. to kind of work out what we think is going to happen. Depending. But what's the fun part about it is that it's going to um, it's going to surprise us. And it's just yeah. it's, it's such a great um, such a good testament to all of these characters which worked for, for years and years, for, for more years than we've been on this planet. Yeah. Uh, even when we combine our ages, uh, we get surpassed by some of those, by the age of some of those characters. And now they get translated to a whole nother medium with a whole nother rule set and they still work. Yeah. That's well, as so long as they, and I think that's what Marvel does really well is like, you, you got to stay true to the characters. You got to yeah. stay true to the tone and, you know, It's not even um, about that at the end of the day. I think it's about the feeling that you want people to leave with. Yeah. You know? So when they walk out of the story, whether it's in comic or whether it's the movies, how do you want people to feel about yeah. that, that experience? You know? And that's a great um, thing. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, you started out with being uh, a member of Team Cap and came out of the movie as a member of Team Iron Man. Mm -hmm. But it didn't feel like any of... Uh, Nobody was antagonized actively. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it was such a, a wholesome thing. No, we're fighting a civil yeah. war, but we still, you know, call us when you need us. Because, you see, I, well, at the end of the day, you know that they're both, they're both right in some ways. Yeah. And they both are trying to do what's best, right? So, I mean, you can say that about a lot of situations. But at the end of the day, what's good about it is they they both stayed heroes in some ways i mean that fight at the end like i said got pretty brutal yeah. but they were still able to say now that we've kind of disabled each other <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. we're gonna walk away because we're heroes that's what needs to happen you know when i'm not gonna go full psycho and full revenge and you know full full death wish on you <laughs> you know which would which would be the line that they wouldn't cross um, which is which, which is what claim came close with Rhodey, right? Yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean, they they still behave as heroes. Yeah, yeah. To, uh, yeah. Tony, <laughs> Steve didn't ask Tony. Is that our reactor still holding back shrapnel from that incident? No. Slam. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was in Iron Man 3, right? Because he's he doesn't have the shrapnel anymore. No, he, he doesn't have it anymore. Yeah. So he, I didn't well, get that operation done, Steve. Fuck. Yeah. It's like, it's my arc reactor. You know, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm hoping and assuming that Steve knew that. Did I just kill you? <laughs> yes. And now I condemn you to death. You know, that would have been pretty dark from Steve's side. Um, yeah, so that was, that was cool. So, you know, the, the feeling of excitement, you know, even though you're still a, a little bit, uh, a little bit worried for them as a team. Yeah. You know, the feeling that you leave the episode was still an exhilarating experience, I think. Um, and, and, and it's still kind of positive in a lot of ways. So. Yes, there's still hope. hope. There's still hope. Yeah. yeah it, it, it wasn't a destruction of hope. I can't even remember how Batman Superman ended now, but it was just like that movie was flawed on a few different levels in terms of how contrived their fight was in the first place in terms of why they were fighting and then why they made up. I yeah. didn't understand it. So, you know, 
but at the end, and then at the end of the day with that movie, you know, Batman was so psychotic because <laughs> he was so fixated on destroying Superman that he couldn't see anything past that. He kind of had blinders on his eyes, yeah. you know. Um, badass though he may have been, he wasn't the detective. I think there was a there was a there was an authenticity of what Batman should have been that wasn't there in that movie. Yeah. Um, because he really should have, you know, Lex Luthor shouldn't have been the smartest man in the room at the end of the day. No, he should have been all with us, but all, but um, yeah. But anyway, that was um, that was episode three of the podcast, so we're not going to go. Yeah. Which Martin had a great discussion. Yeah, Martin had a great um, great idea there for how that should have been resolved. So check out episode three to, to hear all about that. Okay, so um, any closing thoughts? I think we've kind of talked about this one to death we now. had a lot of closing so thoughts yeah we had too many closing thoughts um, I, I have one closing thought uh, yeah. the PS of that letter should have been and you know it was totally the vision who shot Rody. <laughs> no, my team had nothing to do with it <laughs> yeah that's all on you bro <laughs> um, alright cool so Have you watched any other movies then in between Civil War and what's coming up, which will be Apocalypse? <laughs> Sadly not. No? Yeah. I saw um, Zootopia and Jungle Book, which were good. Um, very great. Very great kids' movies. Um, I heard and I think that Jungle Technic Book. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's what you're going to say about Jungle Book, right? Technically, yeah. Jungle Book was pretty cool. It was awesome. Um The talking animals were done quite well, yeah. <laughs> I've got to say. I was a bit, like, from watching the trailer, I was a little bit skeptical about how that was going to turn out. It looked a little bit um, looked a little bit weird, but the movie pulled it off really well. Uh, King Louis was great. Um, King Louis was done by... Um, Christopher Walken. his name? Christopher Walken, yeah. Just brilliant execution. Um He t he did the song as well. I, it's you, you just you just have to experience it. And the the kid that they got to play Mowgli, he was pretty good too. So um, I think overall it was a good um, was a good movie. Zootopia was fun. Got pretty dark in places, but um, overall, you know, very much back to that um, the top of Pixar's game. So I was pretty happy with that. Zootopia was yeah. a Pixar movie. Yeah. Ah, cool. Well, well it was a Disney Pixar thing. Neat. So I thought it was a DreamWorks thing. Not pretty sure it was Disney Pixar. Not, it's great. It's, great great. <laughs> it's uh, like either way, yeah. Because DreamWorks hasn't had a lot of home runs lately. No. So yeah, there's a lot of. Um, I mean, from a studio point of view, that's probably something we should have talked about from a studio point of view. Because um, just going back to Batman, Superman versus Marvel versus uh, <laughs> versus Disney Marvel, um, the restructuring Warner Brothers post Superman Batman. So you know how they're kind of um, given Snyder, uh, they've pretty much given him the boot uh, when it comes to like managing the universe. Really? And they've put Jeff Johns um, in one of the roles to like be, to have oversight for the overall DC universe. Did you see oh, that nice. story? No, no, I haven't seen that one yet. Um, nice. So where are we at? We're at, okay, yeah, I mean, it's nice. That I, the, the news is good. So here's the thing. So the way it's going to work Uh, for the DC movies is that John Berg and Jeff Johns are going to co-run a newly created department called DC Films in, mm -hmm. a, in a way to sort of 
manage the overall DC universe now. Right? So Snyder's it's no longer the Snyderverse. It's gonna be Jeff Johns and um Thank God. John Berg. Now, thank God, but also from a from an organization point of view, you gotta worry because they're still fragmented. So the way Marvel works is that Kevin Feige is responsible for all of the Marvel Studios movies, right? Yeah. And he's one guy who reports to the film department yeah. um, director, effectively. So he can do... So Feige has total control. Whereas the way uh, DC is going to put it together, they've got Jeff Johns and they've got um, John Berg reporting to different people from different departments. Yeah. Right? So the fracture inside DC about what the overall universe should look like, I mean, it's still kind of there. Because they don't have a singular vision yeah. like, the way, like the way Marvel, Marvel Studios Marvel. has. Um, so that's concerning. And then, John Berg has been there the whole time. So he's been pr- producing all of the current movies that have currently come out. So Batman, Superman, but also from the days of the Green Lantern movies. right? So he was there. He's responsible for Green Lantern. right? So his vision and how he wants to put it together, who knows? It could go either way. Um, and... Um, the, the other one, I think the other key thing there is that Jeff, Jeff Johns as well. So he's got not just, you know, his chief responsibility is not going to be looking after the DC films. Now it's going to be also looking after all the other stuff that he's looking after, which includes the the, the TV shows and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So they still Mm. don't have a model like the way Marvel studios has, where they've got one guy focused on just keeping all the movies and the storylines and that roadmap aligned. They've still got multiple people working on multiple things, and then part of their responsibility is going to be to manage this universe. Yes, yeah. So we'll see whether that actually works out. I mean, it's a step in the right direction, but they should have taken another step and just given one person chief responsibility to be oh, in charge right, of everything. That. Yeah, yeah, and just use the Marvel model, right? So they've got a good model to to uh, copy. They should just copy it. But anyway, we'll see. We'll see how the. Um, how, how the movies turn out after that. Because now apparently Suicide Squad's got reshoots and stuff. And it feels like they're doing the Fantastic Four thing where they're changing the whole last third of the movie. Oh, yeah. And I heard that Batman is much more caring in Suicide Squad. I've, I've yeah. read something like he, he, uh, he took the guns off the Batmobile and stuff. <laughs> really? It's a Suicide Squad movie and they're talking about Batman. He he shouldn't be de-arming at that point, you know. Yeah, he should. <laughs> Just put rubber bullets into the yeah. guns or something like that. <laughs> or candy, you know, candy, poison candy with with I, some tranquilizer in it. I will rain down Pez on them. I like that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's gonna work. It will, it would work against Harley Quinn, maybe. Tea and scones. <laughs> <laughs> tea and scones. Will everyone just stop for some tea? <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting. So when does Suicide Squad come out? It's supposed to be the end of this year, like August or something. Oh, uh, yes. And now I'm doing a bit of research. <laughs> 5th of August. 5th of August. Is it still on track or is the dates changed now because they're doing reshoots? Uh, no, I think that's the, the, the actual date. 
Okay. Well, there you go. So, let's see how they pull it off. I mean, I, I am still looking forward to oh, the Suicide Squad movie. It but comes out on the 18th of August in Germany. And on the 5th, August 5th in the USA. Okay. So, USA is first. Yep. For a change. <laughs> Unlike the Marvel movies. Cool. So, what's the... Um, well... Maybe we should just move on to a, a, a apocalypse now. Yeah. What have you heard? Good Early f- reviews good are coming things. in. You've heard good things. Yeah. Not, uh, I think not the ro- great things, but <laughs> good things. Yeah. I've heard good things too. So the people who've seen it, so I know at least. So this is anecdotal evidence. Evidence. I think I know two people, two or three people who've seen it, yeah. and they're quite happy with it. So, no, three people who've seen it and they quite like it. So that's good. Um, Although, from a Rotten Tomato point of view, I think the score is quite low. Uh, or it's, it's lower than... Um, kind of l- almost lower than Batman Superman, I think. But that may have changed over time now. God. So, it might be one of those cases where people who know the characters and know the story um, like it. Yeah. And they get what's going on. But you get this, like, you know, normal mainstream film critic kind of uh, persona who's like... What is this trash? Yeah. You know, and so that's what they're seeing. So it'll be interesting, I think, to see. Um, I mean, obviously, it's out in the rest of the world, but in America, it's not out yet. Um, so I'm, I'm just waiting to watch it myself now and sort of see see how it stacks up. I mean, I've got faith in Brian Singer. I, you know, he knows how to do these characters. He knows how to juggle multiple power sets and make them all work together as a team and probably multiple motivations and storylines as well so yeah i mean i'm excited i've got high expectations but i should you know based on the bad reviews i should probably go in with low expectations and be surprised yeah i think it'll it'll be just a a solid movie like you know uh, a good meal when you when you come home and your mother cooked right it's it's not a high kissing but it's it's fine yeah yeah, I think um, one of the things that, because well, X-Men was the first comic that I started collecting, yeah. right? So I used to read like all the X-Men in the 90s. Um, and so for me, it does feel like that. It feels almost like coming home. Yeah. So even though I'm not sort of keeping up with the X-Men and where they are in the comics now, um, but watching an X-Men movie is like, I know these characters from like my, my high school days, you know? Um, so it feels like, connecting with old friends almost <laughs> when you see them on screen kind of working together um you, you just want to make sure that you know because you haven't seen them in so long that the, that everybody's doing well yeah. you know you don't want a movie where everyone's where it's a crap movie and everyone's like you know now kind of uh unemployed and not not you know not having um a house to live in and stuff like that so you don't want a bad movie that gives you that kind of feedback but you you want to make sure everyone's doing well everyone's doing good you know they can fight together they can work together but they can all work it out in the end so and defeat the bad guys so so i've got yeah that that's my kind of relationship with the x-men so i'm excited let's see let's see how it goes um Any specific thing you're looking forward to with the movies? With with X-Men? Is there anything that you want to see from a character or power set point of view? Uh, Night- I just want to see Nightcrawler. 
be awesome because he's my favorite X-Men. Because he's Austrian? No, no, he's German. Oh, he's German? He's <laughs> Bavarian, which are exiled Austrians. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, nice. At least in my canon of the world, yeah. of world history. All right. In, in, in my head canon of world history. history. <laughs> uh, but, no, I, I, uh, is cool. I mean, he, he hangs out with Wolverine. Yeah. While he's clearly not sharing um, some of his, his, his worldview points. You know, they're such different characters, but they, they still connect to each other. Yeah. yeah. They can still respect yeah. each other, right? And, yeah. you know, he's blue and he can teleport. What's cooler, What's cooler than that? that? <laughs> well, and he's Australian in this movie, too. So uh, the actor playing, playing, uh, playing Nightcrawler is Australian. That'll be cool. See, make, you know. Australia r- rhymes rep- with Austria. <laughs> first three letters are the same. <laughs> yeah. Full circle. Well, the, first, the first couple letters, anyway. But, um, yeah, no, so it'll be cool. I think um, I'm looking forward to it. Nightcrawler is one of my favorite characters, too. Especially, like, um, in X-Men 2, that yeah. Nightcrawler scene with the uh, assass- the attempted assassination on the president was yeah. just phenomenal. Like, that was the first... That was the first scene in one of these comic book movies where I was, like, blown away, yeah. you know? And I, to, have, to have that as the opening scene of X2 was just great. Yeah. Um, and I call it in the comics as well. Like, he was one of the leaders of the team, right? So he was the leader of Excalibur for a long yeah, time, yeah. I think. So he's, he's a pretty important character. They've only kind of done him as a third-tier character so far. Like, um... In X2, he was just kind of like, he was just like the random guy that they kind of included in the team because he was there, yep. you know, because he was under the, the control of the bad guys. Um, and in this movie, he's going to be a kid. So it'll be cool to see how they use him. I think his power set might not be as advanced as it was in X2, just because he's still learning how to use his powers. But it'll be cool if they can give him like a, a signature scene, like the way Quicksilver had one in, uh, in Days of Future Past. So Quicksilver's going to have, I mean, we've already seen it in the trailers, Quicksilver's going to have that scene where um, he's sort of running through the house while it's exploding. Yeah, and he's right. That, sh- yeah. that, that should be fun. That should be fun to watch. Um, I hope they can give Night- Nightcrawler something as epic in this movie. Perhaps he'll discover his, his teleportation abilities? Something yeah. Something like that. Do, that would be neat. Do you think... So in the comics and in, in the canon, right? So he's um, the daughter. He's the daughter. He's the <laughs> son of. <laughs> he's the son of Mystique. Do you think they're going to play that out here? He's like, hey, you're my mommy. I hope not. You hope no, not. <laughs> it always, it always kind of bugged me in the comics that, I mean, it would be okay if he was, if he's the son of of, of Mystique. But I think the stories that came out of that relationship were very awkward. Like yeah. when they meet the devil, so to say, who's his father in in the later. Uh, I actually don't even know who the father is. Who is the father? Some some red demon guy, but it was uh, right. I think it was in in Chuck Dixon's run. Okay. And yeah, yeah. I think it's just uh, awkward handling of the of the whole thing. Just let him be uh, a random mutant. Well, I think it's worth to do that for now. The thing that I'm also thinking about though is um quicksilver and magneto right oh, as yeah. father and son yeah. and so you can have quicksilver so you can have like that parent type relationship uh potentially that could be explored at some point yeah. right so quicksilver being magneto's son and also nightcrawler being mystique's son, son. 
um, the, all the parental issues that they have, you know, <laughs> between between the two, and how it could be handled differently between Magneto and Mystique yeah. with their kids, and what what those different relationships look like, could be an interesting thing to be explored. Whether they do it in this movie or in future movies, I don't know. Whether they do it at all, I don't know. But um, I think there's definitely there's potential there for some really cool stories. You know, at some point in time, we get the X Men baseball movie. <laughs> the X Men baseball movie, and then all of the parental issues are going to get explored. Yeah, potentially. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. With like after Brian Singer's run, maybe that's where Fox is going to take it. <laughs> so, yeah. Let's um, let's wait for episode five. Then we'll see what the what the review of all of this is, and whether we're going to invest any more um, emotional effort into into these stories after after this movie. But who are, who are we kidding? We will invest emotions into anything comic book related. Well, true, we will. But it might just be like a resigned sound, like you made before, like <laughs> eh, you know. <laughs> And that was the yeah. episode with the review of X Men Eight. <laughs> I know my three-letter review. Meh. Meh. <laughs> um, all right, cool. So one of the things that we were talking about before, as well, is like, is this going to be the bridge to the next Wolverine movie? Because now, where we left Wolverine at the end of Days of Future Past was that he was at the bottom of the Potomac River. Uh, he was taken up by Mystique, posing as Striker. Right, he still had his bone claws because it was the seventies, yeah. and this movie is now going to kick off in the eighties, right? And then Wolverine in the trailer shows up, and I think I've only seen the trailer once because I'm trying not to watch it too many times, but it looked like he had metal claws in there. Yeah. So in between the last movie and this one is when um, is when he gets his his adamantium, which also means that this is where they do the full on experiment and where he loses his memory. Yes. Right, so we're gonna have a Wolverine who's gonna be in that kind of that X Men Origins type Wolverine. You know, it's gonna be that uh, it's gonna be that early young Logan where he doesn't know he doesn't know anything and doesn't know which side he's on. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays oh, out, yeah. especially with this with this new cast, right? Because you've got it's so weird, like the way the, the movies have done it compared to what's in the comics, because the cast of characters are like everywhere. So. Cyclops is young, but his younger brother is older than yes. him in the movies, you know, so um, how Wolverine's going to fit in with this cast of X-Men, um, how he's going to know, because like Xavier is like out of play as well, I think, initially, uh, from what it looks like. So in the trailers, Mystique ends up leading the X-Men yeah, yeah. against Apocalypse. So how does Wolverine get through the fact that Xavier needed to go into his mind to kind of fix things up? Um, to make him sane and rational if Xavier's not there to do that in this scenario. So that's a cool thing to look out for, I think. Does that make sense? You look yeah, confused. Nah, well, I, I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> or how, oh, I, I know you how know stuff? Do you know stuff? In Age of Apocalypse. <gasps> how do you know this? Uh, I listen to... So don't tell me what you know, just tell me how you know. Is it from the comics? No, no, uh, I just... Uh, from a review. Oh, okay, right. Okay. I don't want to know anything from a review, because that would be an actual spoiler, because that's actually in the movie. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm fine to speculate, but I don't want to know what's in the movie. They, f- they found a way. They make it work. Okay. 
All right, that's why you're just remaining quiet through the whole thing. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> that makes sense now. I'm like, why is he not saying? I, I, All right, cool. I was thinking about how I should, uh, how I, how I could word it. Yeah, no, that's fine. I've only got to wait a week, so don't say anything. <laughs> no spoilers. Nope. Um, all right, cool. So, all right, let's stop talking about it then. <laughs> let's stop talking about it then. Okay, cool. So, move on then. Um, we'll go to the miscellaneous section. So, we've finished our two big movie reviews. <laughs> and, um, or movie review and movie expectation. Expectation review, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we review our expectations. Yeah, so... Um, what else has been going on in the world of geekdom lately? We have seen some set photos from the Iron Fist series. Yeah, so I actually haven't seen these. I'm going to see these for the first time now. So let me have a look. So what's your um, what's your take on that? Awesome. 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 You really <laughs> you really into it? <laughs> it's so great. I think it's such a great idea. I mean, he won't keep Danny Rand won't keep the look for the for the whole series. I guess. Yeah, uh, but it's such a great idea. Without, with only having the the knowledge from the comic books, that if you're a multimillionaire or an, an heir to a billion dollar inheritance, and you return mm-hmm. from from a secret city of uh, ancient beings with all the enlightenment, that you kind of embrace your inner dude and. <laughs> your inner dude <laughs> run around in your pajamas because you know there are more serious uh, you know there are more serious things than, than money and capitalism going on yeah he looks I so can see sweet what... you know with, with the eyeball <laughs> it's so happy he looks so gleeful it's so <laughs> yeah I, I, I just saw the so I don't think the iPhone um, I don't know if the iPhone the iPod, ah, the iPod picture is um is going to be in the movie. I mean, it would be interesting if it is, but I think maybe that's just that's just Finn Jones on a break potentially. <laughs> I don't know. Um, he does look though like Loras Terrell in Game of Thrones was locked up in the dungeons and then just stumbled out into Manhattan. <laughs> it's like that's that's kind of the because like you said it's that vibe where he's like I don't care I'm just gonna wear my bathrobe around town you know? <laughs> yeah who cares there's there's like I've I've reached enlightenment uh, and this is this is what I do now I don't care right um, it does look interesting um, I want to see how they play this out it's a very interesting look and for me I'm still kind of seeing Loris Terrell like I'm not seeing I'm not seeing Iron Fist I'm not seeing Danny Rand yeah you have you have the baggage. I've got a lot of baggage with this character well, and this guy, yeah. in this case. Thronage. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, it's, a, it's a good look, though. And, it, uh, yeah, that hobo look is good. I mean, again, it's what's cool about it is that it's different to what we've seen in the Marvel Universe yeah. and in the Netflix mini-universe yeah, as well. So, um, it's cool. I mean, the character itself is so different. So... Jessica Jones and Daredevil and even Luke Cage, you know, they've all had jobs. They've all been kind of normal functioning members of society to, a, you know, to a large extent. Yeah. Whereas this dude's coming in is really like a like a third, like a third or different perspective now. You know, he's got a different outlook on things. And um, what's also cool about it, though, he blends in to the world where people wouldn't pay him a lot of attention because yeah. he just looks like another kind of like homeless. Um, 
hobo kind of figure who'd be walking around Brooklyn and Hell's Kitchen and that sort of area. Yeah, yeah so that's pretty cool. Um, what I want to see, what I'm waiting for is um, how they extend it out. So where, where does he go from here? You know, are we going to see Kunlun? Are we going to see, um, you know, where the enlightenment happened? Is it going to look similar to what the Doctor Strange stuff looked like? Because he went, did, I don't know, did they go to the same place? I don't think it was the same oh, place, no, no, right? No, no. Doctor, Doctor Strange, Strange goes to China? Yeah. And yeah. He in the movie to um, another Asian Nepal country. or something. Yeah. Right. But it's still Kunlun. Yeah, it's still Kunlun okay. in, in uh, Iron Fist. All right. Cool. So, I, I mean, is it the same place? I don't know. I want to, I want to see like, how they play it out. No, no, it's, it's, is, is my point. Or, or, or will it be... I, I, I'm not sure about... Uh, I think Kunlun and wherever Doctor Strange is training uh, are separate pla- places. All right, they've got different masters. <laughs> yeah, one got the thunder and the other got the ancient one. <laughs> All right, okay. <laughs> Doctor Strange's like, well, maybe they gave them a choice. You get to choose. You can either have the Eye of Agamotto or you could get the Iron Fist. <laughs> it's like, choose wisely. <laughs> I always had bad eyesight. I take Agamotto. <laughs> yeah. Who needs an Iron Fist? Carpenter, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Be able to drive it nails on a hammer. <laughs> um, that should be pretty cool. I mean, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how they play it out. Um, I'm very excited. I think the Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage universe is pretty awesome. So yeah, um, seeing Iron Fist come in there is, will be will be fun. But I guess if, uh, you said how they how they string together the homeless aspect and everything. Perhaps they tell it like like an arrow through flashbacks, and the flashback reaches the point where he leaves Kunlun and. The, sto- the the present storyline gets accelerated into him uh, embracing uh, the Iron Fist identity, <laughs> buying a suit. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. I yeah, from a structural point of view, I can see them doing that. I hope they don't do that. I think that's uh, that'll be a little bit lazy. Yeah. Yeah. To a point. I mean, because they could always flash back, you know, when he gets knocked out or when he gets drugged and they do that Wolverine thing where they show flashbacks of what happened. Um, But the way Arrow does it, just having two timelines in one show, to me, just kind of slows down the momentum of both timelines. And, you know, I don't don't quite enjoy the way that 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 plays out. Because I'd rather just watch, like, you know, two episodes just on the overall island story and then the rest of the season... On the on the overall, um, well, a story, I guess you can say they did, the a story. They line. did that in the in the in the Marvel series series so far. Didn't they always dedicate at least one episode or at least a big part of one episode to to a flashback? Yeah, they actually do it. I think in the um, in the Iron Fist comics, the last one I read was. Um, Really cool because I mean, from an art point of view, they they did all the flashbacks, yeah. um, kind of like the old adventure maps and um, like old photos, yeah. and they kind of overlaid the story of what happened yeah. like on that. So that that was done pretty well uh, in a comic point of view, and the art was just spectacular. I really liked the way the art was done. I can't remember who was the who was who was the artist because it was actually written and um, 
written and drawn and painted. So the the art and the writing was done by the same person. Could be, um, was it Carrie Angels? Was it the um, Living Weapon? Um, because that, that was the last run, and I there was a similar thing in the in the Fraction Brewbaker run, but I'm not sure who was the the artist on that one. I think it was the Living Weapon one, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I just thought it was really good. Um, like, there's, there's a lot of red. Like, the, the, the theming yeah. of the colors and stuff was really good. I Yeah, I really enjoyed that run. Cool. cool. Um, all right. So what about the Assassin's Creed trailer? What you, what you think of that? Shit. You didn't, you didn't like it? No, it was, it was just parkour assassins, which they are, but it, it, felt, it felt so cheap. Yeah, when it, I agree with you, actually. The production <laughs> value was not cheap, but, but... It felt like a video game movie. Yeah. Like, it felt like one of those ones where it's like, you know, like Hitman and... Um... It felt like the first Mortal Kombat movie in the, yeah. in the 90s. Yeah, it, it, I, and I don't know what it is. Like the 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 sheen, the sheen of it, the look and feel of it. Um, it just felt like a video game movie. Like it didn't feel like this is this is a story that you want to watch. Oh. It felt like it was just an excuse for the parkour, like you said, you know. Um, and it was so high concept. Like yeah, it was. I don't, don't even know if you'd call that high concept because like it was so contrived. It's in the sense that. You've got the stuff in the past and you've got the stuff in the future. Yeah. And then like, he's got the blood and the memories of the, of the past. And they're like, have to hook him up to a machine. It's like, dude, just tell us the story of what happened. Like I would have rather have watched an Assassin's Creed movie set in the 1400s or whenever that was. Yeah. With those guys as the actual characters and not had all of the future crap, yeah. you know, yeah. um, that would have and been something that would have been interesting and different to have seen before. Perhaps. So you do it like a period piece movie with super awesome assassins. And and bring it back into the whole um, genetical memory thing at the end. Perhaps. Yeah, or they could even talked about that like in in the thing is like you've got like I've got the memories of the of my fathers and my grandfathers. You know, like I've got the memories of the previous. So even though it's in the 1400s or the 1600s or whenever you want to set it, but he can remember stuff from the 1200s. Yep. And so that's that's the story. It's like stuff that happened 200 years ago is now in his memories. And that the stories and the stuff that happened 200 years ago is affecting what's happening now. Yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So the mystery, they could still do the it. The mystery could be yeah. why is it affecting his memory now? Yeah. 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 Because, I mean, Game of Thrones kinds of, kind of does that because a lot of the motivations, for example, for why characters and houses do things is because of stuff that happened in the previous generations. Yeah. So they're still holding grudges and they're still like holding on to secrets from stuff that happened in the past, which is playing out in the present, yeah. right? So they could have done that very similar sort of thing, except use the fact that this dude's got genetic memory. Yeah. Um, so he, you know, he doesn't need someone to tell him something, but he will remember it that, Oh, I've been to this place before. Oh, it, it wasn't me. It was my grandfather yeah. or something like that, you know? So they could still sort of play that out. I yeah, think it, without contriving the whole future. bit, And it would be, it would have been a great uh, suspense aspect if, yeah. if if you do the whole thing and 
I don't I don't think that the general populace uh, is aware of the of the twist in the Assassin's Creed video games. And at mm -hmm. the end, you you blow people's minds uh, when you say, "Yeah, but what you've been witnessing now has been a memory, also." But the guy yeah. was so deep in in the in the process that he that he forgot that he's just reliving his his ancestors' memories uh, and gets yeah yeah. But then you can't. And so you so you play out a story that's happening in the present, right? Or the the present whenever you set the story. So maybe the 1600s. Yeah. Um, and you have like so that's the main arc. But um, yeah, he's. He's constantly remembering stuff that happened in previous generations, yeah. which is what's adding to the to the overall story and the understanding of what's happening in, in the, the present, present yeah. is because of stuff that happened in the past. Yeah, so you know, I think I don't think the Assassin's Creeds, and I, I haven't really played the game all that much and not all the way through, but I don't think the game tries to contrive so much out of it that the movie needed to put all of that in there. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know. No, you're you're right. I mean, yeah. I don't the, know. the problem is the games are the games aren't that good anymore. The only the only really good Assassin's Creed game was the second one with 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 all the add-ons. Uh right. but No, they should have they should have and I think they should have gone for a TV series. Just to sort of lay well, yeah. Is it a super complicated... Because I thought, well, how how complicated is the storyline, though? Like, the plot of what needs to happen and what they're trying to... You could you could uh, condense it down to a, uh, to a one-hour drama once a week. Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's, it's basically um, prevent stuff in the future by examining uh, things from the past. And the, right. uh, the problem is... The past can't be that bad because the ancestor is is still there. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Right. They haven't killed the ancestor, yeah. and you're still alive. Yeah. So yeah, there, couldn't have been, couldn't this, have worked out that this bad. Permanent uh, get out of jail free card. In, right. In, in play. That's why they, uh, at least for the for the first move for the first movie, the there the should have been uh, a lot more of. of Of a, of a suspense aspect, mm -hmm. uh, than than the the adventure or the, or the, yeah. the sci-fi aspect that should have been played down because the sci-fi aspect I don't know if they if they will uh, replicate the story from the game uh, entirely, but there is enough sci-fi stuff coming in in the in the past, right? With the the yeah. apple of Eden and stuff, and and uh, old. Uh, Ancient aliens and so on and so on. So there's so much stuff you can you could. Oh uh, really? Yeah. Wow, I didn't know about the ancient aliens and all that sort of stuff. So that's that's interesting. Yeah. Um. But it. Yeah, it'll, it'll be it'll be it'll be interesting to see how far they go down that line yeah. to sort of talk about all those different things. But again, it already feels so overloaded. Yeah. Like it feels like a game that you almost want to simplify the story. So you, you could kind of take it, like, take the core story of what um, Assassin's Creed was trying to say, right? And then you do it as, you know, like an overall trilogy where you build up to the ancient aliens. You don't put that in your first movie when everyone's going to go, what the hell was this crap, you know? 
we have a guy in the future, and then he had his version in the past, and then there's like aliens, and then there's like apples of Eden, and I don't know what's going, going on. on yeah. It's like it's too much, too fast. Yeah. And I think that's what I really liked about, you know, let's just go back to Game of Thrones. As, a, as an example of the way they built up the story, it really took its time because it's pretty, I mean, Game of Thrones is pretty crazy. They've got dragons, yeah. they've got magic, they've got um, all these gods that are walking, you know, effectively um, moving chess pieces around this world that they've created, right? There's all this weird stuff going on, but in the way they told the story, they started off with a very simple, um, grounded set of characters, which went on a very relatable journey, you know? So it was just the one family. So this is effectively season one. Yeah. Didn't have so much of crazy stuff in it. It felt like the movie Braveheart, yeah. you know? It's like you, all the stuff could have happened in history. It was set in a, in a world which was a little bit different, but it was largely about the people. And then it's only slowly through that as the story progresses that they sort of drip in a bit of magic here and there and a bit about the religions yeah. and stuff. And now, if you look at like where it is now, you're like, you know, you almost can't remember because you understand the world and its complexity so well that you can't remember that at the beginning of it, they didn't really focus on all that oh, stuff. Oh, it's not at all, yeah. Because you were eased into yeah. it. And I think that's where movies like this need to sort of take a page out of that book as well. Yeah. Don't go in with like all of your guns blazing, yeah. you know, <laughs> especially because that's, that's how you're going to turn off critics. That, that's how you're going to turn off mainstream audiences because they're going to be like, what the hell is this? Yeah, crap? but then Game of Thrones has the, uh, the luxury of being a financially successful endeavor. And, you know, movies don't do that well these days. We have uh, much more refined tastes. Well, I would I would counter that. I would say part of the reason why movies don't do that well is, you know, that same thing. They're, they're trying to push too much too fast. Like with Batman Superman as well. Oh. It was so much in there that when you go in as a mainstream audience member, right, and you're like, what the hell is this? This is not what I'm expecting, right? And this is another thing I was thinking about. Like with the Marvel movies, they've got to the stage where they can just do things like Civil War. Because we've had 13 movies before this to understand these characters, where they're coming from and how they work, so that now they can just make them play yeah. <laughs> in the airport in Austria. You know? Frankfurt. Um, and, and in Set Frankfurt. In Austria. It would be awesome. It, wasn't it filmed near you, though? Yeah. What, what uh, were you the, saying? the bomb went off in Vienna. Well, not the real Vienna. But yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the, the, the bomb where T'Chaka... Uh, oh, right. Hit. Okay. Oh, right, right. That was Vienna, actually. Big, massive letters across the screen. Yeah. Vienna. But is that building actually in Vienna? No, no, no. That, uh, was it filmed in Vienna? I think I, I, I looked at the, at the surroundings and I don't, I don't remember uh, anything. Right. Anything, you don't recognize any no, of the I didn't buildings. Recognize anything, but the, the the first eight guys had the right uniforms. Yeah. Oh right, well, that was good at least. <laughs> Did the sirens sound the same? Oh, I can't remember you, the sirens. <laughs> yeah, because well, if you can't remember, it means that it wasn't um, wasn't wrong, and it made you think about Did it you? because your European sirens have a very distinct uh, sound. You you made me remember one thing. Um, the, the the country where uh, Steve finds Bucky the first time, that was the Czech Republic. 
That was um, that was Bucharest, Bucharest, wasn't it? Okay, it wasn't Vienna. Okay. Yeah, that was I think Bucharest, Romania. Uh, because the uh, I thought that the the police uh, uniforms were were German ones. All right. And I thought it was Vienna at at the beginning, but then I see uh, uh, then there was uh, the newspaper stand, and it wasn't yeah. the, uh, he didn't read the German newspaper, so I was confused there <laughs> where, where we were at the moment. Well, the newspaper stand was funny to me because the guy who was in the newspaper stand, <laughs> it's like with the casting call, they were just like, okay, well now we need like generic CD Eastern European guy. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, how do they, uh, anyway. <laughs> um, but my point is, I mean, with that whole thing, you need to take your time yeah. to kind of get the audience into it. And I think with, with these movies like Assassin's Creed now, it might be like, it's, you know, it's not even jumping the shark. It's like you've jumped the shark before the movie has even come out. The trailer has um, jumped the shark. The, the trailer jumped the shark. And like, everyone's like, what the hell yeah. is this? Like, I don't want to watch this. Like, it looks like a video game. Like, you know, it, it, it's, and it's like a video game where you don't have the fun because you're not actually playing it. You're watching someone else play, play the video, video game, yeah. you know? So what, where the tie should have been is something or, you know, you need to ground it, I think, with whatever that emotional journey that character is going to go on. What's that character arc that that, that, that character is going to go on as the assassin? Um, and then whether you're going to set it in 1600s or in the future or wherever, it doesn't really matter because as an audience member, I know what I'm going to be following when I watch this yeah. movie. Right? And the, and part of the trailer too, like I think the, the overall stunts and the... Um, visuals in terms of like the way they were doing it weren't that spectacular. I didn't see anything in the trailer where I was like, oh, that's the coolest. Like the movie might be super crap, but I want to watch just for this one scene, this one fight scene or this one stunt. Only, I didn't see anything that really blew me away. The, the, uh, the fight in the, in the sewer, that one sequence where he runs, where the one assassin runs up the sewer wall and takes the guy out, that looked cool, but that, that was it. Yeah. I wanted to see something like that was going to be, that was going to blow me away. I mean, um, I wanted to see like, so the visual that would have really like, and, and so this is what I was expecting, which is what I didn't get. And if I got it, I would have still wanted more. So, you know, you can't, you can't really win with this scenario, but I wanted to see like a bullet time matrix type slow motion, um, view where you've got like one guy in the center, for example, yeah. of the sewer, right? Fighting multiple assassins who are running on the walls around him, yeah. right? And there you get like their black um, shadowy garb or robes or whatever, kind of like furling in the, in the air as they like, they're like revolving around him in like different sides. And he's in the middle, multiply, multiply with like, you know, simultaneously fighting multiple people who are like surrounding him in three dimensions and it's all done in bullet time you know i wanted something like that i wanted something that would have been like oh that's worth seeing you know i would that's like worth watching in a movie but instead like he just jumps off a building or something like at the end i'm like "Eh." see multiple people jump off multiple (laughs) buildings you know that's 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 not new you know it it looks gorgeous like the the visuals and the way they kind of um the way they drew up or painted um, the city 
looked great. Yeah. But again, it looked like a video game. It looked like, you know, I'm just playing it on a really um, high-end graphics card. <laughs> and I've got, I've got really, good, um, really good graphics. Yeah. So and nothing more, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, I mean, so didn't have the emotional hook for me. Didn't have the action sequences and the, spe- the spectacle that I was after. So for me, I'm like, meh, we'll see. I'll probably watch it on uh, Blu-ray or something. Yeah, I, I guess we'll that's the, the the best way to. I guess that's the best way to experience it. Yeah. Or, or, or you know, the best way to experience it. How how should I put it? It's it's one of those. It's a, the most adequate yeah, it's way. A, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cautionary <laughs> movie. It's one of those movies where I don't want to spend blind money on it, but rather rent it on on Netflix or uh, on on Amazon or something like that or, or iTunes. Yeah. Yeah, it's the best. I mean, again, it's like a yeah. I'm not going to pay cinema money to watch it. I'll watch yeah. it at home. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's Assassin's Creed. We'll see. We'll see how it does. I mean, who knows? But um, then we also had Daniel Craig dropping James Bond. Yeah. The end of an era. <laughs> Who's going to pick it up? The end of an era. The Craig era is over. Who do you like to see as the new 007? I actually haven't put too much of thought on it. I mean, a lot of people are talking about uh, talking about Edris Elba. Um, I think James Bond needs to be reinvented again. Yeah. Um, in a world of in a world of um, Jack Bauer and Jason Bourne and even Kingsman, you know, how does James Bond fit in? I think. Part of it needs to be true to the character that Ian Fleming created, but a part of it too needs to like look at you know how does James Bond function? What, what does James Bond mean yeah. in a world of extraordinary rendition and the NSA and you know all that sort of thing? So, um, I don't know. I don't have like I think they they need to find somebody new, somebody who's going to really surprise us. But I don't know who. I I, I don't have any specific. Um, I mean, Idris, Idris Elba would be would be great. But I thought of um, Callum Blue, if you know him. He played Zod in Smallville. Oh really? Yeah. Um, I don't remember Zod in Smallville. What's his name? Callum yeah. Blue. Like the let the Callum like Blue? Blue. Yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, he was in the Tudors as well. Oh, he was. I didn't know that. I just know him from from Dead Like Me and Smallville, and the Princess Diaries oh. too. <laughs> but he has this, you know. Now that he's a bit older, uh, I think he has this regal facial features that you associate with uh, British upper class, which right. is still a very Bondian thing. And I think. Uh, we also should go, uh, you know, uh, Bond in the in the novels isn't this um, perfect womanizer that he's in the movies. Yeah. But he's rather a, a broken person. And so we should take, a, and it sounds stupid, a broken actor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if you want, okay. You should. As in like... I don't know if you should. I don't know much about Callum Blue to say that he's a broken no, actor. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, don't don't cast somebody who um, 
don't typecast the role, you know? Take, right. take some. You, yeah, you don't want to put anyone in there who's already going to bring baggage with them for like who they yeah, are. Yeah. And kind of thing. Like, it's like you've already got an idea of who this person is, yeah. is. So that's going to influence the way James Bond comes to character. It's an interesting point. I think, you know, looking at the character then, um, we've already seen in the Daniel Craig James Bond that he was a little bit lost. Yeah. He was a little bit. Um, coming to terms with like you know all the stuff that happened in Skyfall and fi- he's you know finding his identity um, Casino Royale is like he had he was I don't know if he married her yeah. but he was like in love and then he lost the love of his life and all that sort of stuff so James Bond already went through all this kind of rocky emotional stuff which put, kind of put him off kilter I think like a lot of the Daniel Craig James Bond was he's, he's a little bit off kilter which also felt weird because whenever he did the thing with like where he'd just sleep with a girl after he met her and stuff like that, it felt it felt awkward yep. because he was well maybe that's a part of it. He's just so um, he's just so unstable himself that he'll you know he's not so much behaving erratically, but he's making up for a lot of his own instability by just sort of womanizing and doing all that sort of stuff. Um, I think we need a James Bond at this time, especially this time in history where we are with the world now that brings back some of that certainty that we had with the eighties, James Bond, yes. yeah. you know, like a James Bond who is, um, sure of yep. himself, you know, and sure of his place. And it's almost like he needs to have the conviction that Tony Stark and, um, and Steve Rogers have with their positions. It might not be right. It, he, it might, might not be the right position. And that could be something that he learns as a part of his yeah. journey. But he needs to be someone with conviction, yeah. I think, um, because we've got so much of craziness in the world now. And we've gone through like that period of history where we're kind of like, um, oh, we're still going through it. <laughs> where There's so much of uncertainty. I would like to see a character who represents certainty as that heroic figure. Yeah. You know, and I think that's that's kind of the James Bond that we need to be where we can be on top of these things again, like we were during the Cold War days. Well, like how James Bond was Cold during War the Cold War days, days. <laughs> you know, we need that in, in this world of, um, in this world of where we've got effectively threats coming from every yeah. direction and in multiple dimensions as well. Like in terms of like cyber warfare and all that sort of stuff. Uh, it'll be good if we had a James Bond who kind of had, who had a focus for what he was doing based on, based on, um, the current world. Yeah. So if Callum Blue can do that, I'm not sure he can do that. But <laughs> and, he was the first and, and so this is the thing: is the thing. I'm not saying he needs to be whole as a person. He can still be broken, but he still needs to have focus. Yeah. I think that's the key thing. I think the Daniel Craig James Bond still kind of I don't know to me because was all over the yeah. place. I think we we still need we need a character who's got a lot of focus. I'm I'm reading um, a book by the former director of the NSA. <laughs> his memoir called playing to the edge. And it's really interesting. I'm only like three or four chapters in and he's talking about like, uh, he like it's kind of chronological. So he hasn't gotten to like September 11, 2001 yet. Um, but he's kind of going through the story of the NSA and like what the culture was inside the organization and that sort of thing. It's very interesting. Um, but yeah, just talking about how the NSA was created during the cold war effectively. Right. And, um, how it changed over time and how the, it as an organization didn't keep up with technology and the way the world was changing. Yeah. Um, so they went from having one enemy, which was not very well funded 
and not very well organized, which was the Soviet Union, com- c- compared to the American intelligence organization, to now having multiple enemies on multiple fronts, and they are not very well funded, <laughs> and their infrastructure is falling apart. And so when he takes over as the director of the NSA, that's what he walks into. And so his, his role now is to try to fix the NSA. And so that's what the book's about, I guess. Um, but anyway, my key point in saying that is the world is very different to, it, to when James Bond was first created. I want to see how this will now translate. And the character himself could be um, broken in some ways because he needs to be a real character. But at the same time, he needs to be fixed and certain about something that he's fighting against or fighting yeah. for. And the great, um, a great idea would be um, to finally make him, you know, not disobey rules because that's who Bond is, but go rogue, you know, abandon MI6 because he can't, mm-hmm. he can't, as you said, uh, now the, the intelligence agencies that had the upper hand are, are underfunded and... Uh, understaffed, so to say, and uh, well, that, that, yeah, that, they're struggling to up, keep yeah. up, right? And, so, and, and, but he's the man in the field. He knows. He knows the threat. Uh, he has. Uh, he has the contact uh, through his job. You know, <laughs> go rogue, make his own, make up his own agency. <laughs> well, it's kind of like the secret Avengers, yeah, yeah. But, but, but. I kind of understand what you're saying. I mean, it, it'll be cool. It's like, like you said, so you've got this massive intelligence apparatus of the world. So you've got the GCHQ in, Amer- in uh, the UK, you've got the NSA and CIA and all this stuff in America, plus the rest of Europe and the world, collecting signals uh, and like intercepting electronic communications everywhere. And they've got a view of the world based on all of that data. But James Bond, with his own eyes, has seen something else. Yeah. And he's got a different perspective on the intelligence that they're giving him. And so he needs to go, he needs to go outside of the system, you, potentially even using old school techniques, yeah. right? So going, going back to like old school spycraft in order to get his mission through because he's seeing a bigger picture that they're seeing, not yeah. seeing or not, they're not able to see. And it's not that it's a conspiracy and it's not that it's a, um, you know, Spectre taking over the intelligence organizations like S.H.I.E.L.D. and HYDRA yeah. and all that sort of stuff. It's just because... On the ground, at this moment in time, this is what he to needs do, yeah. to do. And he can't wait for the bureaucracy of the rest of whatever other decisions need to be made in order for him to stop something from happening or from doing something that needs to happen. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that would be that pretty would be cool. Awesome it would give you a really cool... Yeah. And so, you know, you could tie in all the other tropes that you want in there, but I think that, that would be a good way to approach it. So, despite the fact... Because that's the thing, is like, you know... Uh, part of the book that the, I'm reading, the guy's talking about how people have this view of the NSA where they're like spying on everyone's emails and, um, you know, there's the echelon thing, yeah. which is listening to everyone's phone calls and all that sort of stuff. And what's interesting is that the book so far is very much talking about the IT infrastructure of what it looks like and how it was created and how it's not to be maintained over time. And he said, you know, if something like that existed, can you imagine how much of like processing we would need? So, you know, from an IT point of view, it makes sense what he's saying. <laughs> you know, when you think about, all right, the infrastructure that you would need have to have in place. Because the book starts off, they had a three-day outage. Yeah. Where the American, uh, where the NSA was effectively all its computer systems were down. <laughs> and that had to be kept. That had to be kept as a top secret uh, event 
because if anybody else found out that the computers that the NSA was unable to function or communicate with its different departments, you know, um, that would have been a prime uh, time to do something, yeah. <laughs> you know. So they had to keep that as like top secret, you know, uh, number one, and then. At the same time, they were trying to collect data. So at all the different collection points that they have spread around the world, they were still constantly collecting and the data that was coming in and then putting it like – just storing it. But they're not able to process it because the system was down. And he said for three days we were offline. Like if we were listening to every single phone call and email and all that sort of stuff that was happening, can you imagine how much of storage space we would have needed to collect three days worth of the world's data and then process it? later once we came back online you know? and, and, and process um, the active data that is going on and then and the then currently yeah what 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 what's happening in real time right so it, it's quite interesting um from an it point of view as well as from a just a understanding how the intelligence organization works point of view but at the same time the key point is the intelligence organizations themselves are hampered and are sort of hamstrung you know, from a maybe political point of view or from a legal point of view or just technological, what, the, what they're able to do. So it's interesting then for, for the James Bond character at this stage to explore that a little bit by understanding what those weaknesses are. And then the story kind of talks to those weaknesses where James Bond needs to do something because of something that's not right from an overall intelligence organization point of view. And has to go out of his way. Yeah. So the bad guys are still there, but the bad guys are not infiltrating... Um, MI6, you know, no, <laughs> like they're just in, doing the thing, like Inspector and so. Yeah, they're just doing their thing, but what their thing is wrong. And James Bond is seeing this, and he has to do something about it because something is about to happen right now that is urgent that he needs to deal with. And so, effectively, a James Bond story um, becomes like an episode of Twenty Four, oh, almost, yeah. you know, because it's like it's stuff that's happening time. in real time, not so much. Yeah. And it could be multiple things. It could be multiple things because he, 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 you know, you need to do the thing where you go to different countries and have exotic locations and stuff like that. But um, yeah, interesting. And so he's like playing, he's like playing the role where he's telling MI6, yeah, I'm going along, I'm going along with the party line. But really, he's got a different agenda because he needs to get something done, and they're not going to allow him mm-hmm, to do yeah. it. And then, obviously, at the end of every episode, he gets reprim- reprimanded. You shouldn't have done that, James, but also thanks for doing it. <laughs> <laughs> don't give me the license if you don't want me to kill, you know? <laughs> perhaps it's... Uh, now that I think about it, perhaps it's time to let the James Bond franchise rest for, for a few years. For a while. Uh, yeah. He needs to go into retirement and um, yeah. <laughs> just... Sit on a Florida beach, drinking some cocktails for a while, and then come and back. Then come back and he's refreshed. He looks younger. Perhaps lost some weight. <laughs> Adjusted to modern sensibilities, and he's back in the field. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. Daniel Craig's James Bond was like obviously your um, big, um, strong, you know, bodybuilder type masculine style very intense very violent it'll be interesting i think we need a different take i think we need someone who's a bit more of a um of an infiltrator rather than a than than a soldier at this stage you know someone who can blend in someone who can someone who can not stand out in a crowd and keep people uh you know not draw draw attention to himself 
I, I, I still anyway, remember like, that's effectively what, what, my, uh, what my dad said when they announced uh, Daniel Craig is the new Bond. And he said, I'm not going to watch the movies because that guy looks like a hooligan. It's, it's, <laughs> he looks like yeah, a thug. Yeah. Like a secret agent. It's, it's an enemy of a secret agent. Like you, uh, I mean, it was great casting. And then they, I liked the Daniel Craig movies. But I can see his point because he grew up with Roger Moore and uh, all the other guys. Sean yeah, Connery. Sean Connery, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, th- th- that was very different, right? And so that's what I think. I think the uh, the new millennium, I mean, you could say Daniel Craig was a new millennium, but like the 2010s. Yeah. You know, James Bond. <laughs> from, you know, from, from now into the 2020s needs to be a different type yeah, of yeah. character, which, which is representative of where we are now. It was quite cool. Um, speaking of which, speaking of bringing characters back, you know, there's going to be another MacGyver TV series. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Did you see the trailer? No, I that? haven't seen it yet. I just heard that the music uh, people are, are, are bummed out because they didn't use the original theme. The original theme is freaking awesome. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't use the original theme. I love that theme. I still hum that theme when I'm like walking around. You know. <laughs> um, do you know who's playing the new no. MacGyver? Do you remember um, Havoc from the X-Men movies? Yes. Or do you know Havoc from the X-Men movies? Yeah, it's that really? dude. Lucas Till. He's MacGyver. I think is his name. So he's, yeah, he's got like, um, because he's, he's, he's got that model type jawline, yeah. you know, he's, but he's also got like the long hair that kind of Richard Dean oh, Anderson kind of had. But, oh, he looks awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I thought I actually when I was thinking about it, I'm like Martin's gonna like the I look at this guy. Absolutely, he looks so great. <laughs> oh my god! So yeah. So how MacGyver works in an age of Wi-Fi and app stores is going to be interesting because he's a very um, you know he's very much a fundamental physics kind of person, you know. Mechanical yeah. engineering and that sort of thing. Um, I want to see whether he's also able to do like software coding to be able to change or like use an app in a funny way to like open a door or something. <laughs> like I hope they don't just um, just gloss over the fact that so much of the world now yeah. is electronic and Internet of Things. You know, I think MacGyver needs to find ways to um, to sort of circumvent or sort of hack the Internet of Things in order to make know. stuff work. <sighs> Will MacGyver? <laughs> I I I don't think that the the concept will work. I think the series yeah. will will tank. I, I because it was it was something new in the eighties. But as you as you're saying, you know, he could he could if he disarms a a bomb with through the internet access, he gains over a, a refrigerator or something like that. That's just. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the writing on this show needs to yeah. be really clever. It needs to show. It needs to bring. I mean, just like we're talking about James Bond, it needs to bring MacGyver into the world we're living in now, because it's not just like the Phoenix Foundation and like he can stop a nuclear bomb with a paperclip yeah, yeah. and chewing gum. You know, it, it needs to be. It needs to be something more, more real and um, relevant. Otherwise, it's just not going to connect with people. You know, like the kids. The kids. But these days, you know, people don't really remember a world without mobile phones. And that was not a world that the original MacGyver lived in, right? And so 
the way you did things back then was very different. Like you couldn't just send messages and tell people like and give people updates on where you were and stuff like that. Which is a lot of like Magaba being stuck somewhere when when the bad guys would lock him up in a dungeon or something like that and he'd have to yeah, find a way it's out. Much more immediate. He, he, he couldn't just yeah, he, he couldn't just phone Pete and say, hey, Pete, I'm down <laughs> come here, come and get me, <laughs> you know? That was, that was the urgency of why MacGyver um, was so cool, but they need to find a way to make it urgent in, a, in an age of highly connected internet of things world, yeah. world you know? But it just, they but just cut to the, to, ex- the, to the screenshot that I have on my, on my computer at the moment where he, he, he has this smug smile. And, 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 and winks at the yeah. camera. You know, just a still <laughs> image every time he's on the screen and, and lay some dialogue over that. Don't show don't yeah. show him do anything. Oh the guy from uh CSI is in there as well. George Eats? Which guy? Uh, oh okay. God. <laughs> oh my god, this uh yeah. I, I I have the trailer running in the background. It's it's uh oh no. Alright. No. <laughs> <laughs> Have you just lost interest? You know, I, I I will watch it. I will watch it for for nostalgia's sake. But yeah, I think we gotta at least watch the um, you gotta at least watch the yeah. the, the pilot. This, this episode, won't work. Right? And then you <laughs> see see how good I'm it so turns sorry, out. But this won't work. <laughs> I'm calling it. He's, it's he, over. It's over. Oh god, he's he has master archery skills as well, and. There's even a pocket knife in the logo. Oh. Well, look, the pocket li- the pocket knife in the logo is awesome. Is pretty, uh... <laughs> but you know, just <laughs> a- oh god. <laughs> I thought it was a bit nice, oh. but anyway, <laughs> I think he needs to make sure he's got a pocket knife. But it'll be awesome though if it's going to be one of those pocket knives with the USB no, key. Were- that would be cool. <laughs> you you actually used anything else than the USB drive in the pocket knife? No, because I hack everything. <laughs> I hack everything. Yeah, I, I, I've actually got like um, I've got uh, Ubuntu <laughs> di- distribution running on my uh, running on my pocket, pocket knife. And I've got a little laser keyboard. I mean, that's I mean that's what this dude's gonna have to do. I don't know. Like, I just wanna I want to see it, but I'm I'm not holding up a lot of hope. I think the casting is good. I'm I'm excited about Lucas Till because I think he's a he's a pretty. Um, he he's got the good yeah, he he's got the good. right look and he's he's he, a pretty good he actor. He reminds so. me of of Matt Smith as Doctor Who. Yeah, he, yeah. He gives off. Well, he's, he does have a very very yeah. similar face shape, isn't he? Yeah. Oh God, that I don't know, man. Uh, yeah, he's just. just <laughs> You're like I I, no, I don't I, know how to I feel don't know about how to this. Uh, it's it's so it's so <laughs> exciting and. So disappointing at the same time. Yes, it's, it's exciting yeah. and troubling uh, at the same time. <laughs> yeah, let, let's let's just watch watch the premiere and 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 go from there. I know. I think it's only like at the end of this year, though, or even maybe early next year. So it's a long you know time to re- wait. Reminds me, there we'll was see. this um, continuation of Knight Rider with Michael Knight's son. Yeah, and that was shit. And. <laughs> yes, and I do remember that, and it, it was it, awful. It evokes the same the same feelings because I was really pumped for that series, and then I watched the pilot episode. And, well, yeah, well, yeah. I think you know that's my hope is that they don't just go to making a formulaic TV show as if it was in the eighties. You know, TV's moved on in terms of the way it works now, and the problem is this is going to be a network show, so this is going to 
be very much a formulaic bad guy of the day kind of show. But once again, in an age where we've got all these serialized dramas and TV, you know, it can't, it needs to keep up with that in order to stay, stay relevant. Otherwise it is just going to die. You know, it's going to have like three episodes and just fall apart. All right. Awesome. So anyway, that's MacGyver. <laughs> Let's see how we go with Lucas Till and um, uh, how they translate that into the modern times. Then, yeah, I'm really, um, I'm really interested in how this will play out. Yeah, they're doing that. They're, they're doing, um, I think, Lethal Weapon as well. That's going to be another show that uh, they're going to yeah. redo. And I'm like, uh, well, that one I can really. It's going to be just another buddy cop type drama, right? Which is like. Again, I'm not so much interested in that sort of thing anymore. I want to see... I'm all about serialized dramas. I need something that's going to keep my attention span um, hooked in. Otherwise, I'm like, I can take it or leave it. It's just another episode of Law and Order to me. Uh, It's like in Training Day. I think Training Day as well, which is, again, going to be like a serialized thing. So, Training Day is going to get a series. Yeah. Okay. The trailer is pretty funny. The, the, the trailer is pretty funny. It's got, um, oh, who is it? Uh, anyway, but at the end of the day, it's like just going to be another buddy cop thing where the cops are not so buddy-ish. <laughs> so, I mean, I think Gotham did that really well, you know, in terms of showing yeah. the different types of characters. So I don't, you know, and G- Gotham had the added, um, the added, uh, what's the word? Oh, I need another coffee because my brain is like not working right now. Um, added benefit of having the overall Batman universe and storylines that they could draw from. Yeah. You know, and so it, it gave you that sense that there was a bigger arc that was happening, not just a bad guy of the day. So yeah. training day, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Cool. So, yeah, so that's our TV and trailer roundup. Um, what about comics? So we got... The last thing on our list here. We've already hit. We're going to hit like two and a half hours by the time this thing's finished. A- every episode gets longer and longer. We need to do much better with time management. Yeah. <laughs> we, should, we should get a, a moderator. <laughs> Someone needs to keep us like, come on, dude. We need to keep on the agenda here. Um, so what have you been reading lately? Uh, I've only been, well, I've been reading a lot, but the, the things that stuck to me were Doctor Strange, Last Age of Magic which is a solo issue that um, chronicles a few stories that don't happen in the in the main storyline of the current Doctor Strange comic series. Mm-hmm. Which is really... Which is just a, a, a neat thing that shows where, where what, what, what comics can do because they have one of the monks that fashioned Doctor Doom's armor All right. uh, has become a superhero... Uh, or, or, yeah, a superhero in, Mar- in, in Marvel's uh, magic corner who calls himself uh, Mahatma Doom. Oh, because God. he spreads peace. And it's just such me? a great idea. Mahatma Doom and yeah. he spreads peace? Yeah. He brings a few <laughs> of the soldiers who, who are killing the, the magic users uh, to attain uh, a peaceful state of mind through, mind through Zen meditation. Right. Is it spelled? Is so? Is Doom spelled with a H? Is it D H O O M? I think it's D O D O O M. Okay. Oh man, that would be pretty. <laughs> it would be. I've went pretty far. 
Really? Is it good? I mean, it sounds it sounds questionable. I've got to yeah, say, like, the character appears for like uh, two pages, but it's just such. It's so great, and the the Spanish magic guy uh, yeah. speaks Spanish, and there's no translation. It's such a great issue. Yeah. So why I ask is because D H O O M, which is Dhum in um, Hindi, means like trouble. Really? So yeah. So <laughs> he would be like. Mahatma, you know, like, because uh, Mahatma means enlightened, right? Oh. And so, like, that's, uh, Mahatma is a title. So Mahatma Gandhi is, you know, saying that. Enlightened Gandhi, oh, yeah. yeah. So he would be the that. enlightened troublemaker. That would have been, <laughs> that would have been funny. <laughs> so anyway, well, I, I think that's what it means anyway. I don't really speak Hindi, so. Uh, it's just that my, my grandmother used to always tell me that I was making a lot of trouble in <laughs> when oh. I was a kid. So that's, you would use that on me. So that's kind of why I know what it means. Um, yeah, there you go. So that's pretty funny. Um, but he's only in there for two, two pages. So I yeah, guess it's, it's more of a, it's more of a just sort of to, um, add dimension to the story yeah, rather than story. It's not the story itself. Okay, cool. It's just so great. <laughs> All right. And the overall series though. So it's just the last days of magic is just one issue out or. Yeah. It's, um, the story in the current Doctor Strange series is that um, there are technologically advanced guys uh, roaming the realms and uh, dispensing magic users. Right. And this is uh, this is a um, how should we put it um, a guided tour uh, how the Marvel universe's magic users All right, are okay. dealing with those. Yeah. So you have uh, Brother Voodoo in there, Mahatma Doom. Um, the Mexican guy, which I can't remember, I can't remember his name, and there was a uh, a Chinese uh, magic uh, user in there as well, but I can't remember, I can't remember the name. But the whole right. the whole issue is just this is the the bit I remember most vividly because I I, I thought the idea of the character was so great, but the whole issue reads um, it's, it's it's just great. It's a great issue. It's, right. it's great comfort food, comic comfort okay. food. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, I, I think so. It's one of those ones where it's not really like an overall story, but it's a, it's an opportunity to do a tour around the, the Marvel magic universe and just see all these different characters, right? Yeah. And just see how they fit together. I mean, very similar to that. I, I always started reading Old Man Logan. Uh, as a, I think I, well, I told you earlier, but, yeah. uh, it's the Bendis run and I started reading it because, um, news came out about the Wolverine casting for the next Hugh Jackman Wolverine movie. And apparently, uh, looking at the descriptions that they put together, it is going to follow kind of an Old Man Logan-esque storyline. So I, I hadn't read Old Man Logan before, so I started, I said, I better read it, see, see, what's, see what's going on. Um, but the one that I've, I've been reading is actually the second volume, not the first volume, which is set during the Secret Wars timeline, where the character of Old Man Logan gets to go on that tour of... Um, the battle world from the Marvel Secret Wars storyline. So it's not so much, it doesn't feel like an overall plot uh, driven story in itself. It's just him going around the different areas of battle world and meeting oh, yeah. the different characters. So it's pretty atmospheric. It's, like the art is pretty good. Um, and I, I like the way it's sort of put together. Uh, but but overall, I think you know you need to read the original volume one run of Old Man Logan, which was the Mark Millar one you were saying, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, so I need to pick up that one next. Maybe I should stop reading this one in case I get any spoilers for the first one, but I already kind of know the whole story anyway. So I won't give that away here, but if anyone's interested in Old Man Logan, just be aware that there's like volume one, volume two, and now an ongoing series. An ongoing so series yeah. Start with volume one, which is the Mark Millar one. Yeah, I don't know if it's, if it's that essential reading. I haven't read the, the volume three that's coming out now, but I, uh, there's only good things. Uh, well, people I've, say good things about it. Yeah, I've heard good things. Um, so I, I wanted to sort of experience it without knowing too much more than that. So, um, I, and it's it, it's just a short series, so it's not something I think that you need to spend a lot of time to understand a massive backstory for. Yeah, uh, I mean this the Secret Wars one is just crazy because the whole yeah. setup of well, where, 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 <laughs> how and why Battle World exists, exists in itself yeah, is, is like a is like a two year. Um, it's a two year journey that you have to take, but just take it for granted. Uh, <laughs> just go with it. Uh, and just en- enjoy the visuals and the spectacle. Yeah. But even if you, if you, if you know who, who Dr. Doom is, Bell world is basically his version of the Marvel universe. Yeah. 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 And but you know where it comes from, right? All set. Yeah. 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 It's, <laughs> it's a, a pretty convoluted story. That starts in, in Hickman's Fantastic Four run. Yeah, I if mean... you really want to go back to any the time, Any time Jonathan Hickman has to architect a story, <laughs> yeah, your brain's going to just fold itself into a pretzel by the time you understand what the hell's going on. Yeah, but I can um, always... Im- <laughs> I can imagine him, how, how, how cheerful he must be at his desk, uh, constructing charts and everything that, that needs to be done so that he and, and his collaborators can keep track of this behemoths that he's fashioning yeah i mean what i would really love to see some behind the scenes stuff i'd like to see i'd like to see jonathan hickman's process and how he's using it to create the complicated worlds and um just the the complicated structures of story that he's going to put together and then how he communicates that to the other people who (laughs) have to help him write the shit because it is just crazy. Like, it's it's spectacular to behold, but at the same time, it's almost impenetrable yeah. to read because yeah. it's just so complicated. You know, like, yeah. there's not, like, a simple story where you can just understand one piece of or one thread. You need to read, like, you know, all of the issues. Uh, all of the issues. You need to read all the stories and follow all yeah. the threads in order to understand, to understand what's, it, what's yeah. going on. Yeah. But there, uh, Matt Fraction said that um, they were on the on a Marvel retreat when the iPad was announced, mm-hmm. and while they were all uh, cheering for the the, the first uh, the first usable uh, tablet you can read comics on, Jonathan Hickman was sitting in the corner and was uh, uh, he was orchestrating. <laughs> no, he was figuring out how they would have to change page sizes to accommodate the screen of the of the iPad. Right. <laughs> well, everybody, everybody was cheering. He was thinking in the corner yes. by himself. He's, 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 he is quite, quite a um, strategist that way, yeah. isn't he? Like yeah. always looking a couple of steps ahead, which is, yeah. Cause the, I mean, if you haven't read secret wars, I'm sure there's going to be some sort of collected graphic novel editions. Yeah. There's um, one out there, but yeah, I mean, it was the thing that completely changed the Marvel Universe. It was like last year, right? So the, it, 
Coleman, the, the, the story built up over almost two years yeah. and then culminated last year with this massive um, destruction of everything that Marvel had in its universe and, and um, simultaneous reconstitution of everything that Marvel now has in its universe, in its universe yeah. which is a storyline known as Secret Wars. And um, this run of Old Man Logan that I'm reading is set during that, that, um, that time. The transitional period. Yeah, so it's set during the actual transitional period, the, the the middle point between the destruction and then I guess the recreation. I actually don't know what happens after Battle World. Like I I know they're all like up and running now, but I don't know how, how what happened, like how Battle World resolved itself. Uh, <laughs> you're like you got that face where you're like, I could tell you, I but could do tell you. you. Know? <laughs> Let's not go through it now. Okay. Oh, uh, because let me finish read Old Man Logan. Um, and if anybody else is interested, let's not, now that we've sort of set up the whole battle world yeah, thing, so let's not, let's not close it. Experience it for the let's leave time. it open. because who knows when the next episode will be. So you've got time to read it. Right. So, <laughs> and get up to speed. Cool. So have you been reading anything else or outside of that? Uh, I've been reading, uh, Wonder Woman Earth One, uh, the, the origin story for DC Comics ultimate line, so to say. Mm-hmm. which is written by Grant Morrison. Oh, nice. Uh, and, I mean, I'm not the biggest uh, Wonder Woman historian, but I really like the approach he took uh, to the character because he incorporated almost every every trope uh, uh, and, and, and everything that, that uh, made Wonder Woman work. And I'm, I'm just so sad that it's set in a separate universe from the from the regular DC titles. Right. Even with Greg Rucker taking over uh, Wonder Woman after uh, Rebirth happens. Mm-hmm. It's just... Um, I just like the idea of a, of a... I mean, it's 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 sad that it isn't written by, by a woman. Yeah. Uh, because in, in this day... In this day and age, I think uh, Wonder Woman should get an, an awesome female writer. So you get... Uh, a more authentic voice uh, on on the topic of um, feminism, for example. Yeah. Is it still a feminist title, though? I don't is, know. Is, I, is, it, is it trying to be a feminist? I mean, from what you've read so far, does it feel like it's veering I, into that territory? Well, the the, the Earth One thing, uh, you know, it just it just assumes it it just assumes that uh, feminism worked and we're 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 all equals. Or, or, or Wonder Woman, okay. at least in, 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 in this version, operates under, under the assumption. Mm-hmm. And then she, she meets the world of man. And there is this, there's this great panel in a, in a hospital where she's in the, in the in a world where, where people are, are dying. A, a hospice? What? Is it hospice mm-hmm. in, in English as well? Okay. Uh, hospice. And yeah. Hospice. And... Yeah. Um, she just goes in there and they tell her, "Yeah, well, um, all those, all the, the people you see here, you see here, are, are basically uh, on the on the last stretch uh, of their mm-hmm. of their lives." And she's so uh, devastated by the thought that all uh, all the women and, and she even um, how does she say um, the knowledge of all the the sisters in here will just perish with their uh, will with perish their with their bodies, and that's and and, and runs away and. That really, gra- that really grabbed me. In mm-hmm. you know, that's that's the first thing 
um, that she thinks of that even even if their fate is sealed, uh, they will basically go un- unrecognized or only only recognized by their families. Yeah. The the impact they can have on on other people's lives uh, won't won't happen. And you know that it struck a chord. It struck a chord with me. Mm-hmm. You know how li- how we live our, our lives, and even we have the internet, we can we can put ourselves out there. But that also is a, a you know a, a big part of uh, getting getting on on in, on equal fields between men and women to mm-hmm. to record our our experiences uh, with uh, manliness, so to say, <laughs> uh, with masculinity. And, thank you with masculinity, masculinity and yep. and being being a woman in this in this time. It, the thing just struck a chord with me, but yeah. I'm I'm a, a white male person, you know. <laughs> Am I qualified to talk about such things? That's the next next thought. Well, uh, you know, crept into my into my head. Yeah. So, are you talking about that in the sense of this was written by a male writer? Yeah, or, it was, or you as a reader reading it. You know, it was written by a, a white male writer, and I'm interpret interpreting it through a, a white male lens yeah so i'm not sure if if my interpretation of it may you know women could read this and say well it's a piece of shit you know <laughs> well yeah i mean so what you're saying is effectively um because you you know you started talking about how it should have been a female writer so it's almost yeah. like you it struck a chord with you but it was also written by someone who comes from who's got a very similar background in some yeah. respects right being a white male and all yeah. uh but you're saying would it does that ring true as authentic for wonder woman as a character yeah and would it be more authentic if somebody who has a similar experience to wonder woman being female could write that exactly you yeah. know what i'm saying yeah, yeah so i think i kind of understand where you're coming from yeah. i think um yeah Overall, I think there needs to be probably more representation of women in comics as yep. as as writers and artists, um, and you know that obviously goes without saying. Obviously, we need to have equality and representation there. But the thing is, as well, I think the story itself is a vehicle for showing people different perspectives, and a good writer needs to be able to um, you know not just draw on their own experience but have enough empathy to be able yeah. to draw on other experiences, experiences yeah. to be able to give the reader a different view or a different perspective. And so technically, I mean, you can say that, um, you know, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't really disparage a connection or a resonance if it had it. Yeah. Because you read something or you watched something um, because that part was real. You know, um, whether it was, whether it was real, um, because it was exactly, you know, whether it was real, but it was true to the character, I think is one thing. If it was real, but it's not true to the character, then you can say you started going into like stereotype or, um, typed territories for something like this. I'm not sure. I don't know. I didn't read the specific thing, so I don't know what, um, you know, what, kind of effect it would have had on me for example but for you I think you know obviously it felt like it was a real moment so I don't you know I don't think that um, (laughs) it's almost like you don't have to feel guilty about it you know what I mean yeah Um, 
as you said, it was a real moment. That, uh, in, in that moment, I had to put down the book and I took a long look out of the window. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, you I had to, it's like it, I had to reflect. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it caused me reflection time. Yeah, well, which is good. I mean, that's where, that's where art needs to transcend those barriers, I think, um, which is what makes a good piece of writing and a good piece of art, right? So it doesn't matter who the artist is at that point and where they come from because the work should transcend that. I think yeah. now I don't know, you know, whether Wonder Woman counts into that level of art, but it surely had a specific reaction. And I think that that part was real at least. So, yeah. So there you go. I think, you know, that's quite, quite an interesting one. So, um, earth one is, it's obviously because DC's has got all these alternate universes, right? Yeah. All these alternate yeah. worlds. So what sets earth one apart now from the normal continuity? Uh, it starts, it starts at the beginning. There are, Four Earth One titles. We have three Superman books, two Batman books. Uh, is it? I think the Teen Titans or the or the Legion. Now it's Teen Titans and and the Wonder Woman book so far. Yeah, it's coming out slowly. There's like a volume every two years. All right. And okay. Then, except for the super, I, I didn't like the first Superman thing, uh, but the Batman, uh, Teen Titans, and the Wonder Woman uh, volumes are are great. A great okay. read. And they're kind of starting again from scratch. So yeah. it's effectively their origin stories. Yeah. So this is kind of an it's kind of an origin story for Wonder Woman as well. Yeah, it's a it's a complete origin. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, so it's it's a good place to start if you want to get into the comics, I guess. Yeah, and even even like I said, it would it would work great if they if they had put it into into the regular thing. Well, the regular continuity is so messed up anyway. Because yeah, anyway, yeah. that's the new 52 that we've got now, right? And then even that's like a big failure, I believe. Yeah, well, until next week, then Rebirth comes out. And there's a massive spoiler on the net for Rebirth. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, well, I'm, I'm waiting for, for the reaction from certain people when the issue comes out. Right, okay. I, d- I don't know what the spoiler is, and I haven't read that, so I'll have to... I don't think we should mention it here. Yeah, I, I, won't, <laughs> because, I won't tell it, because yeah. I'm, I'm, so looking, I'm so looking forward to, to certain reactions. Yeah, okay, cool. So let's, um, let's put that on the, on the, on the, on the uh, notes for next time, and <laughs> we can yeah. talk about DC Rebirth. Cool. Um, awesome. That is our agenda. <laughs> we made it through the list. <laughs> we made it through the list. Wow. This is an epic, epic. T- every time we do this, it gets longer and longer. So it'll be yeah, a, Except it'll for be episode like, two. We were very economic in episode two. Well, we, we, so we were still like two hours in episode two, weren't we? Oh, oh. I know. That was, that was episode three. Sorry. An hour 15. Okay, wow. Okay, wow. That was our fastest one yet. Yeah. So let's see. Let's see if we can. Uh, for, I don't want to get to like Lord of the Rings style. Um, <laughs> director's cuts. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, I need to have an intermission halfway through the session just so I can get through it. All right, cool. Yeah, but take the mic to the toilet with you so we have material for the outtakes and stuff. Yeah, you know, I don't think. Super I don't special think, I edition. Then don't think that's gonna work. I don't <laughs> think that's what people want to hear or uh, <laughs> experience. Let me tell you. <laughs> anyway, cool. So that was that was episode four. Thanks everyone if you managed to get into this. Two and a half hours of um, runtime. Actually, have we hit two and a half hours or are we still two uh, hours or something? Yeah, we have hit two and a half hours. Oh, wow. Okay, awesome. You people so, yeah. are awesome. 
<laughs> yeah. So thanks everyone for listening and um, we'll catch you in episode five in a couple weeks. See you then. Bye. Bye-bye.